Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 33 of the Former Action Guys podcast. I'm your host, as always, Justin Kramer. Uh, if I sound a little sick, it's because I am. So, And you may have noticed this uh, podcast getting released a little bit late. I usually release them every Thursday, and then if I have a second one that week, I try to release it on Monday or Tuesday. Um, big week at school. I had two major papers due. I have a cold. Probably have the coronavirus. It is what it is. So I'm a day late on that. However... I also have uploaded the very first video, actual video, to the YouTube page. So if you're listening to this, but you'd rather watch you know, me and the other person talk, flip over to the YouTube channel, subscribe there, and you'll be able to see uh, me and Jonathan Reed, who's my guest this week, talking. Um, which is my plan from now on. I would like to... Every Skype interview I do will probably be uploaded and then um, interviews at my place where I normally record at will, will should be recorded uh, and videoed that we could put it up on YouTube. And then when I'm traveling and recording, that may or may not. It just depends on, you know, my ability to bring camera equipment and stuff uh, with me. So we'll see how that goes. But this week is our first one. Um, nothing crazy, I guess, but it is up on YouTube. So make sure to subscribe on the former Action Guys podcast channel. Um, all right. Yeah, we got two reviews this week on um, Apple Podcasts. One was from somebody named Knort. And they say, it's really cool listening to this, or it says, from a magnificent bastard. It's really cool listening to this because the names that get brought up are guys I've uh, I've met and worked with and some that I hated their guts. The stories are hilarious, especially the one about the sausage and the Iraqi army. This is by far my favorite podcast, great for commutes to and from work, and I definitely love how long they are. Keep it up. I also like how long they are. Um, for, you know, at the beginning, the first, you know, whatever, 25 episodes or whatever, um, we were just kind of, I would just kind of go and let it go. And some of, you know, I had one that went almost five hours, I think. And we split it in two. And that was the one, I think episode 19 and episode 20. Um, I, I would like to keep them all on one show. And I uh, looking at my analytics. Most people listen to about two hours of a podcast before turning it off. So I'm trying to keep it around that if it goes over, cause the conversation is, is really good and stuff like that. I'm not going to stop it. Um, or if I just don't realize that it's gone over two hours, but I'm going to try to keep it around that two-hour um, time range because it seems like what a lot of people like to listen to. If, you, if you've if you ended podcasts early and you haven't gone back and listened to them, I recommend going back and listening to um, some of the endings of the podcast because there's a lot of good information there. That's where people also shout out the organizations that they're part of and their own social media and stuff like that. So if you're not listening to the entire podcast, I, I hope you go back and listen to the rest of them. Um, all right, so second second review here. Uh, it's from Anglebro. Said, finally started listening to these podcasts and was not disappointed. The stories these guys tell bring back a, a ton of memories from my time spent with Anglico and throughout different RD and infantry battalions. Great to hear the behind the scenes of different deployments and stories of successes from the Marines past and present. Keep up the awesome work. Hey, uh, thanks, man. That's from Tmart56. Um, I appreciate that. And yeah, man, I, that's what I want to do. I want to spread the word. I want people to realize that their story is unique, but it's also similar to other people, you know? A lot of people come in the military and, you know, do stuff that they didn't think that they were going to do or had no idea because they have no, um, 
I don't know, no kind of military knowledge. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that people are getting to come on the show and tell about their unique experiences because everybody has a unique experience and I'm glad people are enjoying it and stuff like that. So thanks again for that. Also, again, go, go to the YouTube page and subscribe and stuff like that. And then leave comments on your favorite videos, ask questions, give me a thumbs up on some of them, you know, that way people, other people that are looking at my channel will know which shows are the best ones. So go over check out your favorite shows and make sure to put that stuff up. So, all right, let's, uh, let's go through the, the copy here. So it says, uh, all right, yeah, if you're not up on Apple Podcasts, but you want to interact with the show, make sure you're following the Former Action Guys YouTube channel. If you aren't already, smash that subscribe button and leave comments under your favorite episodes. I've even started to add the top hits from previous episodes. You can listen to some of the best stories over and over again. As always, I appreciate the continued support, and thanks for sharing the show with someone who would enjoy it, all right? Um, and then finally, make sure to check out my website, jkramergraphics.com and my Instagram page at jkramergraphics. That's jkramergraphics.com and at jkramergraphics on Instagram. You can also email any questions you have to my former Action Guys podcast. Um, you can email any questions you have to former Action Guys podcast at gmail.com. So that's former Action Guys podcast at gmail.com. All right. I'm going to try to get over this sickness and let you guys enjoy this show. So have a good day. Have a good weekend. It's Friday. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think we got a decent setup here. My uh, my PC was too ancient to take my headphones. So That's funny. Uh, yeah. yeah. How but, old is your uh, computer? Man... I got this thing whenever I was still in, so it's at least seven years now. <laughs> you got out in 13? Yeah, 2013, yeah. You must have gotten out around the same time, because I, I think, didn't we go to some car meets in 2013? Yep. That was like, yep. and then you got out, was that when you got out, it was right at the end of that? Yeah, August. August is when it was. Maybe July, terminal, something like that. Oh, uh, okay. Did you stay around the area? Is that what it was? No, no, I didn't. Um, but I'm from North Carolina, so oh, um, maybe yeah, we hung yeah. out before then because I was deployed until August of 13, and was then it? yeah, so maybe it was 2012 when we were going to the car shows or car meets yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, because it was, it was Evo M. It was like me, me and you were the only dudes in Jacksonville on Evo M. Yeah, <laughs> um, and we just started recruiting people from there. Oh, is that where we? <laughs> is that where we first started talking? That's it, man. Evo M. It was it was me, you, and. There's a couple other dudes on there, but none of them uh, were around. Oh. And uh, and then we got it going, and, and they actually turned into a, a pretty legit setup that they had. So it was kind of cool. You know, we so I thought, like, that was when I first started going to car meets, and I thought it was cool when we could get, like, six people to come together. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And then I moved out here to California, and... I, w- I just started adding all these like car meet pages on my Instagram uh-huh. and dude, it's insane. Like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The con- I've heard you talk about it. it. It's just insane, man. I think literally the biggest meet I've been to is probably four or 5,000 cars. That's insane. It's like a, a car meet, <laughs> like flash mob off of Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's insane. That's 
And it was great out in North Carolina, too, because we would cruise down. Um, I know we went down to Wilmington, and we'd go to Cars and Coffee in Wilmington sometimes. That's right. yeah, and man. then did you ever do the autocross? Were you doing autocross yeah. out there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cherry Point and, yeah. Um, and Wilmington. Um, yep. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't talk to enough people from when I lived in North Carolina, so I forget, like, half the stuff I did out there. Yeah. I, I need to, like, because I was, as towards the end of my time in North Carolina, I was, like, deployed or, like training for deployment constantly. Yeah. So all the people I had met, I had just kind of lost touch with cause I was so busy. And then I, then I went straight from deployment to California and then right on another deployment. So I mm-hmm. lost touch with a lot of people. So yeah, I, I totally forgot about some of this stuff. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. From out there. Yeah. 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 We had our Evo tens and there was like one or two in the area. Um, yeah. And then after that, man, like I remember right before I got out, we did a, we did like a cookout on base. Hmm. Uh, it was at that park kind of in the French Creek area of river road. Okay. Man, we, we had like 17 Evos out there. Really? I have a picture somewhere and we had all the Evos lined up uh, and we just had a cookout. It was, it was a good time, man. Yeah. It, it, it turned into something legit, you know, there's going to be some <clears throat> Subaru drivers out there, you know, watching or listening to this that are like, fuck those dudes. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, well, it turned into a cool thing. It was actually the, the Jacksonville all wheel drive, car meet i think it was the page or something like that yeah and and we actually uh set aside our differences and the subies and the evos actually got along for once in history everybody hung out (laughs) uh i actually so when i went to get my evo i uh or when i went to get the car i actually bought or i was going to get a subaru first yeah i was going to get a wrx special edition and they wouldn't come off the price at all they were gonna they didn't even have any on the lot and they were going to charge me to ship one uh, another $500 to ship it from a different dealership. Like they didn't even, uh, they wouldn't come down at all. They wanted $40,000 and oh, I'm like, and I'm like, no way. And that's, that's why I ended up getting the, uh, that's why I ended up getting the Evos because they were too crazy. I was like, fuck that. And then I'm glad I did. Cause then afterwards I was researching it more and that's when all the Ringland issues and stuff like that started coming out. Dodge the bullet. <laughs> yeah. About them like blowing their, their, apparently they run perfectly fine. But as soon as you start doing modifications to it, it's like, it's very touchy on the engine. Whereas yep. I think our, the Evo 10, what's the issue? Like the drivetrain, the tranny goes out or the yep. diff, you know, yep. I think that's what a lot of people, I never had issues. Um, I had issue with mine one time and it was the, the, um, uh, clutch master cylinder went out, okay. which was a known issue. Yep. And there was a yep. recall out for it, but I was like, I'm just going to wait till this bitch fucking dies. And then I'll go yep. get a new one. Like that's I'm right. Like no reason, no reason to go and get a new one for no reason. Uh, which sucked though, because out here they have the um, the uh, Mitsubishi Owners Day, the mod, you know. Yep. And um, I was going to that every year, and it was the day of or the day before mod. I was get I was getting ready to get all my stuff ready because I I go I would go in the evening time the night before because that's when <clears> if you're going to get a spot in the parking lot because there's thousands of cars that come to it. Yeah, you have to you have to uh, go the night before, and it fucking clutch master cylinder went out on me. Of course, it did right before I could go. Yep. But yeah, and then afterwards, <clears throat> and then I ended up getting rid of the car. I was like, well, it's starting to get to the point where stuff's probably going to start happening. So yeah, yeah, the yeah fucking mine, Evo, mine, mine, was, mine was good to me, uh, and I loved it. I, I had yeah. an Evo eight after the ten. Oh really? Um, which and one? it was cool. It, it it was cool, but um, which one did you like better? The ten. Yeah. yeah, the ten. Yeah, the eight. The eight felt more raw to drive. Uh-huh. Um, but the ten, man, my ten, it just 
it, it seemed like it delivered power much more smoothly and it just overall seemed more predictable. Um, and I had it, I had it from the showroom, you know what I mean? So that was like, yeah, that was too. part of it too. Yeah. That was part of it is I had it from the showroom. So every, every mile of that car was mine. Whereas yeah. the eight was obviously used. And yeah. So. Yeah. And it's funny, the Evo eight and nine people are like super die hard about it, about being <laughs> Evo eight and nine owners, you know, like, yeah. Uh, they're, which they're great cars, but the Evo 10, I think has already shown a lot of times that it can do more than, than yep. the eight and nine, but they're all fun, man. If people, yeah. people are probably talking, you know, thinking like rice burners and shit like that, but these are fucking, you know, I had, I had people were like, this is like a high school kids car. And I'm like, first off, bro, this car is almost $40,000. <laughs> like yeah. uh, show me a high school kid. That's, that's buying that. And like, like yeah. you, I bought mine brand new. Also, I bought it at the dealership. It had five mm. miles on it, you know. It hadn't even yep. been test driven yet, um, but um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. People don't understand how fast they can be, too. I mean, they're not yeah. as easy to like get crazy horsepower like a Mustang, where you can just throw like an exhaust and a tune on it. But yeah. out of a four cylinder, man, I was doing a lot. I was. What all did you have done to yours? Um, oh man, uh, or you- I had the three. I had the three and a half inch intercooler. Um, mm-hmm. All the hard pipes. I think it was all ETS that I had. Yeah. I had a, a six putt clutch, uh, the street light flywheel, uh, the Grim Speed. I think it's Grim Speed electronic boost controller. That was a big one. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Man, that was a, that was a major difference. Um, and the ETS intake. And I think that was it, man. I, I, and and a, force fed, a tune from ForceFed. I put yeah. down 340, 340 on their Mustang Dyno at the time. Um, That's where I got my first tune at. Yeah, yeah, in Fayetteville. Yeah. Oh no, never mind. That wasn't. That's not it. I'm thinking of the one in what's the place in Wilmington? There's like a national speed. Yeah, national speed. I was gonna go to Force Fed um, because there was that Evo shop there. There was a place there that that was known for their Evo stuff. I don't remember what happened. Why I ended up not going there. But yeah, I went to. um, I had a lot of the same stuff you had done. I I didn't have the ETS intake. I had the um, engine. I bought the engine. Okay. It came with the uh, air intake, and it came with the upper intercooler hard pipe. There was yep. like a kit you could buy. That was like the first thing I bought for the car. Um, and then after that, I bought like all the fucking the four. I yeah. had the four inch intercooler. I think that was the biggest yeah. one you could get without having to cut anything. I believe it was. Yeah. yeah so I had the four inch intercooler. I had the Grim Speed boost controller also. How'd you like the clutch with the changing up the clutch? <laughs> How hard oh, was that to drive? <laughs> it was a nightmare. Uh, it took some getting used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I forgot also the, uh, I had a, the ETS three inch, I think it's a three inch turbo back exhaust too. Yep. Um, Which one? Yeah, so the clutch was, uh, the clutch wasn't bad. It was super stiff. Um, but where I went wrong was getting the street light flywheel. Yeah. Um, and man, it just chattered everywhere you went, everywhere uh, you went, you were getting constant chatter and that got old. Um, thankfully it wasn't my only car. So I had a daily I could drive around, but it got very old. Um, but that was from what I understand was mostly due to the flywheel. Hmm. Um, so if I could have redone it all over, I sort have resurfaced my stock flywheel. Um, but that clutch, man, it uh, I burned up the clutch my first time going to Coastal Plains after getting everything put on. So the, the stock clutch went like like three passes, man. Yeah. With brakes in between, it was gone. It was done. 
Um, Coastal Plains, that's that. I was talking about that drag strip with somebody. I couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah, on one of your podcasts, you were talking about, you're like, oh, what was the name of that place? And in my mind, I'm listening, I'm like, Coastal Plains, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a little hole-in-the-wall, quarter-mile drag strip, you know? Yeah. Uh, Every Friday night, they did their street street legal stuff or whatever it was, I don't remember, Um, which was cool. A lot of us would roll up in force there, so you'd have like four Evos all hanging out. It was cool, man. That is, that is it was cool. cool. Yeah, I never got the. I never the one time I was going to go to it. It was raining. Um, yeah, because I was I was afraid I was going to fuck it up. I was like, man, it's my daily. I'm not yeah. trying to like you know. I had done some work to it and stuff, but I wasn't trying to put like unnecessary stuff. You know, I'd fix as stuff went uh-huh. out. I fixed it. Like when my clutch finally uh, went burned up, I finally replaced it. But I upgraded. I upgraded it and I upgraded the uh, the flywheel as well. But I didn't go. I didn't go heavy on the clutch like that. I went like yeah. uh, whatever the in between that is. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, yeah. But um, I didn't. Mine wasn't too bad. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't an issue to drive it. 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 However, out here in San Diego, there's some areas with some pretty steep hills. Yeah. And it's like fuck, man. That will definitely screw. You have to do the whole e brake thing, like because yep. if you don't, you're gonna hit the person behind you because they're <laughs> yeah. not. They're gonna get up on you. It's just, it's just not not uh, conducive to having a car yep. like that out here. So, man, absolutely. Uh, why'd you end up getting rid of it, man? I, um, God, I'm trying to think. So the the ten, I had owned it outright, and uh, I was like, man, I could use it, use some money to pay off some bills, pay off some debt, whatever it was at the time. Um, and I found an eight that I really liked, and uh, it put down about the same power, a little bit less. Um, everything was already done to it. It was like ready to go. Uh, and I just committed. I was like, okay, well I can trade my 10 in for this eight and then, uh, I'll have a few grand to put towards whatever bills I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and still own another car outright. Uh, so that's what I did. And I wouldn't say I immediately regretted it, but it was pretty, pretty soon. I, I realized that I regretted it, you know? Yeah. Um, but the eight was cool. Like I, I'm not saying anything bad about an Evo eight. It was an amazing car, but compared to a ten, I preferred the ten. So, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't beat the modern like the computer and stuff. You know, like it's yeah. doing different stuff with the drivetrain than the eight and nine could do. Like, yep. those are still very capable cars, but it's I don't know. It, as long as you like you said, like if you take care of it. I took care. I took care of mine. I didn't drive it super hard. I didn't really drag yeah. race. You know, I didn't do anything like that. So, I never had a lot of issues with mine. It's the guys that buy them and then go out and start. They got to the they got to launch it at every light, you know, <laughs> yeah. or they start putting on stupid shit. There was some guy driving around Lejeune who had a <clears throat> who changed the blow off valve from a recirculating one that come you know that's stock and that's what yep. runs correctly to a, uh, a Venta atmosphere one so that you could hear mm-hmm. that like that. Whoosh, whoosh. Yeah. And, I, and I just remember I was driving next to him on base. We just happened to go by each other. And he, this dude was shifting constantly just to hear that fucking blow off <laughs> out. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> fucking clown. And that's, that's the kind you do stuff like that. And guys will do that and not get it tuned. And like, then they'll just blow their motor up and, yeah, people don't make smart decisions. It, it, yeah. You got to have kind of a game plan what you're going to do with a car. And, yeah. um, it, some people want to have a show car and some people want to have a fast car and sometimes right. you can have both, but man, that's a pricey endeavor. You can't, it's, yeah. it's a, it's expensive enough to like mod your car, like the engine and stuff like that. And then you want to throw on some nice, like show wheels, you know, like, uh-huh. 
That's just, do it, man. that's pricey, especially being in the Marine Corps and enlisted dude in the Marine Corps. I yeah. uh, I wanted to get wheels for the longest time, but I ended up getting two piece rotors because I was like, you know what, that's gonna make me a little bit faster. I'd rather do that than get the wheels. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, we got all the car stuff out of the way yeah. right there, right, <laughs> yeah, right up yeah. front, front load it. Um, yeah. what year did you join? Were you always an East Coast guy? Oh uh, yeah, well most of the time, yeah. So um, I joined in two thousand six, mm-hmm. and uh, born and raised in North Carolina, so um. Joined in 2006. It was September whenever I joined. So, Okay. Yeah, that was like a couple months after me. Did you go to Paris Island? Is that what you said? Paris Island. Yep, Paris Island. And then um, did you come in as an 0861 or? I, I, I did actually, man. Um, it, it was it was kind of interesting. Listen to the podcast and hearing other people's stories too. I had a guaranteed 6-1 contract. And at the time it was mostly unheard of for people to have guaranteed contracts. But I also got a... Uh, I guess it was an enlistment bonus. That was kind of cool, man. So oh, after, really? You know, yeah, dude. See, that's what I'm saying. I've never met anybody else that got one. Very uh, few. I, I think it was like four grand or something like that. Huh. And I, I never met anybody in the Marine Corps that got money to join. Um, but it was actually kind of cool. So, yeah, they were offering that at one point in time. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's, uh, again, people, one, people on the outside don't know what it is. Most recruiters don't know what it is. You see fire support, man. Everyone thinks they're going to be a firefighter. It seems like that you talk to, they're (laughs) like, I thought it was something to do with firefighting. Uh, and then when people get into it, it's just, it can be a, you know, high tempo, depending on what you end up getting, where you end up going. Like if you go to meth, your meth fires, a fated dude, your, your tempo is a little bit slower, but if you go to like, a battery you're in the field every month probably you mm-hmm. know it's just like that's just how it is that's the life but so yeah. you came in in uh, 2006 so what were you at mos school in 2007 yeah it was uh so after boot camp i graduated in december i had uh recruiter's assistance so that must have been january i must have checked in to seal yeah man what'd you do on recruiter's <laughs> assistance <laughs> i fucked off i skated i i, I practiced uh skating is what it was because <laughs> It was, uh, you know, there was like a group of like three of us and the recruiter would just be, all right, go to the local community college, um, and walk around and talk to people about the Marine Corps. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, well you can only do that so much. And then you start feeling, you know, just out of place. Yeah. Um, so we would do that for a few hours, go back, be nothing for us to do. We'd PT. Um, and then we'd just take off, you know, pretty much eight to five with the recruiters. Yeah. Uh, on their weekends I remember they had, uh, some like pulley functions. So you'd show up to there and, and you really didn't talk to anybody. They would do the talking for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, I had recruit assistance. I think it was like, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, did something you, like that. Did yeah. you get a promotion off that? Cause don't you, if you no. get a certain amount of people to recruit now, no, I didn't. Uh, uh, no, no, no private read. Uh, I had no idea what was going on. I just <laughs> recruiter said, go, recruiter said, go to the mall and talk to guys. I said, okay, that's what we're doing. So this group of three of us, we went to the mall and talked to every guy and they're like, yeah, fuck off, man. <laughs> they didn't yeah. want to hear what we had to say. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the recruiter assistance, it was cool to see how recruiters work. Um, I thought it was cool at the time being a brand new Marine, you know? Yeah. Um, but as far as value to it, I didn't see much value um, that we added to the recruiting office. Well, um, at least you get to come home for a little bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. I wasn't complaining. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's too bad. They don't do it. Like, so officers, if they, if they're waiting on their school, they get to go to like 
they, they can go to different training schools and stuff like that. Sometimes they'll send them to a command to do OJT. I'm, I'm surprised yeah. they don't really do more of that for the enlisted guys. Um, yeah. What was your first unit? When did you check into your first unit? So I checked in. Uh, oh man, I was lucky at Sill. I picked up right away. Um, I checked in Second Angle Co. It must have been April, maybe somewhere around there, somewhere around April. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I got to Sill about late January, early February. Went through that. Went through Sill, Coronado, uh, and then Angle Co. So, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were. <clears throat> so you were at Angle Co. the entire time, huh? No, uh, not the entire time. So from Angleco, I went uh, Angleco TAD to two nine to do my JTAC pump there. Hmm. Then I went to Fifth Angleco after that. Um, from Fifth Angleco, Wounded Warrior Battalion, and then done. Oh, geez. So, all right. Well, let's start back at Second Angleco. Then there's <clears throat> a boot showing up. Okay. Having some experience with Angleco. And knowing, like, people, I don't know, there's a misconception out there that there's some kind of, like, uh, selection process or that Anglico, whatever. It's just a regular unit. Like, anybody gets orders out there. I say yep. it's a regular unit as in that. You're going to get orders there. I think the way that they utilize their people is irregular, and and they do a really good job of, like, allowing teams to do work and stuff like that. Um, yep. But it, I didn't. I, I don't necessarily think brand-new guys should come to Anglico because I think I you show up and you don't have enough information and stuff like that. So what was it like for you to show up to to Anglico? Did you know what Anglico was? Did they tell you in school, like, hey, this is where you're going, and this is what, so, what they do? So, so uh so at Coronado, I remember uh, before before you graduated Coronado, uh, you get I think it was web orders, um, and then with those, I remember my order saying two ten, and there was another guy there going to two ten. I was like, all right, well, cool. I guess we're going two ten. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I ended up getting uh, honor grad at Coronado. No big deal. Um, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you know, Lance Corporal Reed now uh, is going to second angle code, and I'm like, angle what? There was no, nobody else going there for my class. Um, no, there was. There was one other guy going. Um, so, all right, well, well, let's go to Anglico. Uh, and we show up, and we still don't really know what's going on. By now, you have an idea of that you're going to get a lot more training, is the way they explained it. One of our instructors at Coronado, I think he had came from second Anglico. Uh-huh. But he didn't really talk to us much about um, what it was going to be like day-to-day or the type of training or the type of mission, other than it involved – um, a lot of artillery and close air support. So naturally I'm like pretty excited. Okay. Well, that sounds a whole lot better than two ten that I thought I was going to. Yeah. For um, sure. <laughs> yeah. It sounds better on paper. Um, but you know, whenever you check in, you know, you, you're, you're just a dumb boot. You don't know what's going on. Um, uh, check into the unit. There's a, a staff sergeant picked us up from, uh, whatever it was called on Lejeune, the reception center, wherever, yeah, wherever the it was. Joint reception center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you're trying to figure out, okay, well, I'm going to be in 1st Brigade. I don't know what I'm doing, but I've got these three guys from 1st Brigade yelling at me, telling me I better memorize a cast nine line before my second day. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, what is going on? Um, uh, so like, this is so the fleet. Cool. This is what I've been yep. wanting to get now. Yeah, that's fuck. right. So, well, I've made it. You know, I'm here now. Um, so going into it, I didn't really know what I was going into. Um, but I knew that it seemed on paper – a little bit more high speed than, than just going to a battery or a battalion somewhere. Um, but even then you don't really have anything to measure it off of cause you haven't been there either. Yeah. So, um, I was excited for it. I was very excited for it. Uh, and I thought the, the idea of close air sport was 
just kick ass, you know. So naturally, I was pretty excited to go to Anglico. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so did you immediately jump into uh, a firepower control team, or did did were you like S three or something beforehand? No. So so I went straight to First Brigade, uh, but that we were the last group of boots to show up um, to check in before we were going to Iraq. We were going to Iraq in September of 2007. So we checked in probably April, May. That sounds about right. Um, so we checked into first brigade, me and another guy checked into first brigade. Um, and then we were just with headquarters because by then the teams were already set. Yeah. And, um, they didn't really have a spot for us, but we knew we were in first brigade. So we just piggybacked on the other teams training. So I remember going to a couple shoots, OP five and OP two, um, yeah, and I thought OP5, man, we did a rotor shoot there. It was my first shoot in the fleet, mm-hmm. and uh, we did a rotor shoot there, and I was fucking amazed, man. I was like, oh, this <laughs> is so badass. It was a night shoot, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is so badass. Yeah. Um, Skids are great at night. Oh, it was cool, man. It was yeah. so cool. Uh, and at that point, you know, I was like full on ready to go. I was, okay, I, I want to go to a team, you know. Um, but no, no, we stayed in headquarters. Um, we did a workup. In Fort Polk, JRTC, I believe it was. Fuck yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> that is that miserable. Place, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, well, the guy that I checked in with, he he uh, he piggybacked onto a team, and I I was in for that workup. I just I pretty much stayed in Gunny German, Gunny German at the time, in his right pocket, following him around, trying to learn what this was all about. That's a um, great mentor to have, and a difficult one, I bet, at the same time. Oh man, it, it was. He's a legend. I'll, For I'll, those that don't know, a, he's a legend on the East Coast. Yeah. As as a as a boot to the Marine Corps, as a, as a lance corporal, he was so intimidating. <laughs> but you you knew like his presence. Um, he just had that command presence fuck everywhere. Yeah, it was. Even as a yep. sergeant, I was intimidated by him. I met him as a sergeant. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, yeah. don't fuck around <laughs> with this dude. Like he knows no. everything. Yeah. So. Uh, so following him was really good because it was it was like a soft entry into going to a team, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened. So we did the workup at uh, at Polk, um, and then one of the teams it just wasn't working out with the guy that they had the the junior 08. So I went to that team, hmm. um, and that team was actually an extra team that they produced to piggyback onto Bravo Salt Bravo. Yeah. So Salt Bravo had three fixed for our Iraq deployment. So uh, after the workup, I ended up going to that team and. Um, and yeah, I was ficked eleven. Huh. Salt Bravo. Yeah, I was ficked eleven. Is what it was. What was your role on the team? Um, so it was interesting. Uh, I was the my the team leader was O eight. Um, he was a O eight O two, I guess it was. The team chief was actually a uh, a comm guy, an O six. Hmm. We had another. Um, we had a junior comm guy, and then I was the only six one on the team. Uh, so I was just a junior scout. Oh, really? You yeah. were the only yeah, six it, one it, on the team. That is weird. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, it, it was cool, man. Um, you know, I didn't recognize at the time how diverse that was to an Anglico team, but we made it work, and it worked out great. Yeah. So. I mean, the cool <clears throat> thing about Anglico is you could be almost anything and be get put on a team. We had a uh, um, Sergeant Farrell, or Farrell, Michael Farrell, he's been on a couple times. Yep. When he was with First Anglico, his team had a ComTech on it for a while yep. and um, no as a radio operator. And then one team had a mechanic that they made mm-hmm. into a joint fires observer. I think <laughs> he was either a JFO yep. or a radio operator, but he, I think he deployed with a team. Dude, um, if you know it, you know it, man. You yeah. Know, if, and those aren't like, it's not, 
like super common, but it's not uncommon. Like England Co is yeah. kind of known known for like, hey, we just want the best dudes to from the you know from the unit to go out and do the missions because they're pretty That's important right. missions for the most part. Absolutely. So when you were when you got to there when you got to Anglico, did they tell you like, hey, you're you're going to start a workup? We're getting ready to go to Iraq. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as I got there, like, hey, yeah, welcome to the unit. We're deploying in five months or however long it was. Like, well, all right, cool. Sounds like, good. Fuck, um, I got what I asked for. <laughs> yep, sounds good, man. Um, yeah, I was pretty gung ho at the time. So yeah, as 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 most uh, you know, new joins are, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think we were at Fort Polk like man, a month later, it, it wasn't long. However long it was, it was, it was shortly after checking in, we were at Polk, um, doing the workup. So. Yeah. What'd you think about the, uh, the training out of Fort Polk? Well, I and didn't who, get to see much of it. Who were I you mean, attached to? I, I don't even remember. Well, yeah, it was Lance Corporate Reed didn't remember. Yeah. It was yeah. an army unit. Um, yeah, Lance Corporate Reed don't know. He, uh, <laughs> I, I, like I said, I followed Gunny German. I yeah. worked in, um, uh, in the COC side by, you know, side by side with him. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish I could remember the, the units, but I don't remember the units at all. Um, do, do you think that the work that you did there kind of set you up for what you did in Iraq? I, I think knowledge wise, it was a good entry for me to, to be going in, um, to be going in and, and sat beside going German, yeah. you know, um, German at the time. It, it was uh, because I wasn't with the team. I still got uh, I got slayed, uh, PT wise, and uh, and knowledge was just pressed into me. Um, yeah. So, like I said, it was kind of a soft entry at that point. You know, they had already done the ABC course, which was like a couple weeks before I checked in or something. So I skipped that, and uh, I really had to start learning what was going on. So, yeah, um, did it set me up? I wouldn't say Fort Polk did. I, I really didn't do much. Um, and well, but when, the, you, the, when you got to Iraq, is that what you did? Was working a, a COC and a FSCC fire support coordination no, center? No, no. I, I got moved to a FIC team right after right after Polk. So okay. we we supported a MIT team out there, okay. um, and we were at Camp Abania for the first half, and then we actually moved up to Diala Province for the second half of the deployment. Was um, that, didn't MIT? What was that? Military training team. Training team, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we um, we worked with this MIT team for I don't remember the Iraqi unit, but it was an Iraqi battalion, um, and they were uh, located all around Habania and TQ uh, for the first half, and then they got tasking the Iraqi battalion got tasking to go to Diyala because Diyala was having some problems up there, so they reinforced the Iraqi army there and the army. Well, we went with them uh, and the MIT team, so we were in Army AO um, just. I don't remember how many how many people the MIT team had on maybe twenty. So there was about twenty five of us just cutting around with the army uh, in Diala, which was really cool. Yeah, because um, at the time there was nothing going on around Habania. Yeah, there was ab- absolutely nothing. We did we did some cool missions. What year that was took this? us out of the area? Two thousand seven. Okay. As that, whenever I was in Habania, that takes us up to around Christmas or January mm-hmm. of two thousand seven. And then shortly after that's when we punched up to Diala. Okay. Um, we had we had some cool missions that were like in the area, but it was um, w- one mission that stands out to me. It was called Fair Play, I believe was the name of it. And what it was was uh, escorting 
it was like 120 fuel tankers, Iraqi civilian fuel tankers from Ramadi all the way up to the north side of Iraq to some uh, some fuel uh, kind of depot, I guess, a refinery maybe, filling them up and then driving back. Uh, huh. And that took that took about a week. So I got to see all of Iraq. It was wow. actually kind of cool. Yeah, it was kind of cool, A man. week on the um, road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go up there, stay there for like a day, day and a half, and then punch back down. What was the uh, IED threat? Around Habania, I want to say the entire time we were there. This is Habania TQ. 1-1 was there at the time. Mm-hmm. I think 1-1 had like one IED strike in the three months we were there. For uh, Don't quote me on that. I don't remember exactly. But there wasn't much. Once okay. we went to Diala, it changed a little bit. Um, but that was post. That was entry into 2008. So it's like January 2008. Um, but 2007, around Habanilla, there really wasn't much going on. So it was just more uh, active up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that was more – I think the, the, the dirtbags cutting around Diala had more of a problem with the Army than they did the Iraqi Army or um, anybody else in the area. So, oh, really? Why is that? Yeah. Man, it is – you could just tell that the – they were just getting treated like crap, really. Uh, I, I remember one of the first patrols we did with – there was a striker unit, and we rode – my team chief and I rode in a striker to go set up, like, a short OP for just, like, half a day, mm-hmm. and we broke down out of this house. And as we're leaving, you know, there's kids everywhere, and the kids are curious about you. Um, and there's like three kids probably 10 meters away from us just looking at us. Um, and you could tell that they were just being kids. You know, yeah. they, they weren't, they weren't, uh, they didn't have any ill intent. Well, the army decided, okay, well, we're going to, um, uh, one of them throws a smoke grenade at the kids and, mm-hmm. and not, not like tosses them, like launches a smoke grenade, you know, oh, really? uh, at these kids. Yeah. And the kids take off running and I'm thinking, man, if that was my kid, I would be pretty pissed off at the army right now. And, yeah. and, uh, so I think that that was a big part of some of the issues that they had was just locals being unhappy with how they were cutting around. Hmm. Um, the, the, the mission in Diallo was kind of cool. We, uh, we were just there to reinforce another Iraqi army unit. So what we did is we were on uh, a couple different bases. Normandy was one of them. Mm-hmm. And the other one, I don't remember the name of it. But it was kind of cool. What we did is we, we'd just go out. We'd hit up a, a small village for a week, stay there, go back to the Normandy for a couple of days, go back out for another week, two weeks, come back. And it was kind of cool. And, and the the battalion that we were supporting produced some results. They found some caches, found mm-hmm. some bad dudes. Um, it took some casualties as well. But, um, but yeah, it's pretty good. What was, how was your, how was your FICT employed during the deployment? Like what, what, what exactly were you doing? Were you guys like one FICT per truck in the convoy or something like that doing, and then just running air during the whole time or yeah. how were you employed? Yeah, usually. So with the, um, with operation fair play specifically, we had, we took two Anglo teams forth cause you have this convoy that's miles long, you know, hundreds yeah. of tankers, uh, hundreds of gun trucks, that's Iraqi crazy. army Marines. It was, it was cool. Um, so we had, um, a fic team up front and then we had a fic team in the rear and then we just bounced back and forth. Um, they, they were usually pretty benign. The, the highlights of it was anytime we rolled through, um, Baghdad area, I think we did, we only did that mission a handful of times, two or three times. Um, Rolling through Baghdad was always uh, pretty sketchy. 
Yeah. Um, and you'd see it. Route clearance would be everywhere at the time. And then half the time route clearance would get blown up. So we're sitting there for even longer. Um, so, but I remember them allocating a lot of air for this. So I was, I was the driver. Um, Hmm, and I I remember my, yeah, I remember my, my team lead, he had, he had plenty of air, plenty of air (laughs) during the mission. Um, but yeah, I was pretty much just driving. And, uh, what were you driving? We had, we had up armored Humvee. It was, uh, was 1114, I think was the nomenclature 1114. Yeah. Those were those big ass fucking vault doors on them. Yeah. Things weigh like 500 pounds. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Dude, there, I think uh, a lot of dudes broke their hands in those doors of that, of that thing. Cause yeah, that's so sketchy, man. Being in a Humvee. I, I thought yeah. they had stopped using those at some point. I guess not. The, Maybe the advisor the MIT, teams were using them. The, the MIT teams had MRAPs. Um, mm. So they had MRAPs at the time. Um, we were in a Humvee. Uh, I think I think all the Anglico teams then had had Humvees. I don't remember anybody getting getting an MRAP. Um, that's that's yeah. the least preferable thing to get blown up in if you're going to get blown up. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and, and you heard about it too. You know, they're talking about all these. You know, they're talking about MRAPs can take a blast and underbelly blast. Amazing, and you're rolling around in a Humvee that can't take an underbelly blast for anything. Yeah, um, it's just ready to launch you. <laughs> yeah, God. yeah. So, but it was, you know, whenever we were, um, you know, during fair play, that was most driving we did, and then the drive up to Diallo whenever we moved the entire battalion that took forever. Um, and then after that, all it was was we would just escort or we'd tag along with the MIT team whenever they tagged on to one of the Iraqi companies operations. Yeah. Um, and then we just run patrols with them um, and just be there for, uh, for whatever they were doing. How, how often did you interact with the Iraqi soldiers? Well, once not so much in Habadiyya, but once we moved to Diyala, we were with them all the time. So um, did you like eat with them and do all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we were out. So whenever we were on Normandy, we were on the Iraqi side of the base, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful base. Uh, the, one of the pictures I sent to you, um, it was the just it's a landscape picture. You see a river and yeah. just rolling hills. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, that's the backside of Fob Normandy, and the the perimeter for the backside of it is a river. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave us this little building to live out of whenever we were on the base, and the entire salt was there. Um, and while we were back at Normandy, we were with the salt and the MIT team, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, once we pushed out to go hit up a village for a week, two weeks, whatever, we were side by side with the Iraqis. Um, so it'd be two weeks, you know, living with them and then one week not living with them. You know, it's interesting when you actually, because I did the advisor tour in Afghanistan, it's, um, living with the Iraqis, um, or living with the foreign force like that is interesting because like we didn't live with them. Like I wasn't sleeping next to these dudes all the time. Like we all, we shared, uh, Fob Jackson and then we Uh would go out with them. We do, dude, I, I would, I would sit over there and with their commander, they had this, um, platform with rugs laid out and we would all sit on pillows and it was outdoors. Right. And it had like the, I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. It's just like the lattice, um, above you and okay. it had uh, they were growing grapes off of it and as nice. the summer went on it, they actually grew and now they're sitting there and we would be sitting outside having our little you know talks with them drinking chai eating mm-hmm. like local fruits and candies and yep. you, know, you could like pick grapes off this thing <laughs> and then we would be watching like Pakistani soap operas 
<laughs> like <laughs> it was just so it was so weird that some they would roll out this old TV and we'd sit there and watch Pakistani soap operas with them. And it was just, I don't know, just interacting with foreign uh, people like that is just fun. It's just, uh, it's super, I don't know, getting into another culture and trying to understand it, you know? And they were cool, Mm -hmm. too. Like, they weren't, like, they weren't, like, extremists, you know? They weren't, like, I don't know. They would ask us, we would would literally watch something on a Pakistani soap opera, and they'd be like, what would happen in the U.S. if that happened? Mm -hmm. You know, and we would talk about it and stuff. So, was it kind of like the same way with the Iraqis? Uh, I I didn't have continuity with any of the Iraqis I was around because oh. each each time we went out I'd be with a different we'd be with a different company or gotcha. anything. I mean the only continuity we had was probably I think it was the OPSO or the XO of the battalion. Mm-hmm. Um he was always the one that was kind of around the mid team and then from there a couple guys from the mid team would be going to this company for whatever couple days. So our team would say, okay, we're gonna go with them or we're gonna go to a different company. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I had a handful of interactions where I tried to have conversation with them, yeah. um, but nothing, um, nothing substantial, I guess, you know, it was just, it was, it was funny. You're talking about local candies and stuff. This is a story I like to tell because it was my first time ever being introduced to a pomegranate Yeah, <laughs> gr- growing up some, this simple life in Western North Carolina, I'd never seen a pomegranate before. Yeah. And, uh, we're on a patrol and we're like jumping over these people's fences and I see all these Iraqis pulling something down from a tree, and I'm like, what the hell is that? So, fuck it, I'm going to pull one down. You know, as we walk by, I put in my dump pouch uh, for later. And uh, I remember asking my team, my team chief, like, Sergeant, what is this? He's like, that's a pomegranate, you dumb fuck. I was like, sweet, you know, break it open. <laughs> First time I've ever had pomegranate anything was in Iraq. And presumably organically grown in some dude's backyard. I same uh, dude, same thing. <laughs> I had never had a pomegranate or really seen them until I was in Afghanistan. Yep, Same thing. Yep, Those dudes, because yep. I was like, what is it? Like, you crack it open and eat it? Like, I'm like, that, yeah. that, this looks fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Fuck, man. Yeah, it's cool the stuff you get introduced. Um, that I mean, obviously, that's something here you get in the United States, stuff like that. But pomegranates are actually really big overseas. And so are dates. You know, dates yep, are really big. Yep. And then that was the only time I've ever had almonds. They would bring out a plate or a thing full of almonds, and they all had their shells on them. So you had to shell the yep. almonds. And I'm like, yep. huh, that's fucking weird. Yep. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be foreign to me too, man. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> when you came back from that first deployment then, what was your role like? Were you now seen as a little bit higher in seniority? Like you have a little bit of real world experience, you know, and stuff like yep. that. You know, because a lot of – for people that don't know that aren't in the military, it's like a lot of times you get put in a unit and you're not really fully part of the unit until yep. – you know, for us at 10th Marines, it was like, the boots would get less shit after we did a Fort Bragg exercise, you know, cause mm-hmm. you go to Bragg for a month, go out there and prove that you know what the fuck you're doing and you're, and you yep. can learn and stuff like that. And then you come back and you get a little, you're held up a little bit higher. And then if you were shitty out there, then you're like the dude that's always clean and shit now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah, once, 100%. You, once you do something like that, where you do a deployment and come back and you show that, you know what the hell you're doing, you come back with a little bit of seniority and a little bit of uh I don't know, clout, I guess, if you want to call it yeah. that, within your unit. So what yeah. was that like coming back? Is Were you still a Lance Corporal? I was a Lance Corporal then, yeah. Yeah, I was still a Lance Corporal. Um, whenever we got back, I got promoted to Corporal, I don't know, I don't remember how long it was, maybe six months after. Um, uh, and, yeah, it, it, it was very much so like that because before, the little bit of time I had the unit before we went to Iraq, it was um, – 
you know, you're just getting slayed. If you got downtime during the day, you're getting slayed by somebody, man. Yeah. And um, instead of getting slayed twice a day, we only got slayed once a day, you know, <laughs> something like that. So it, it wasn't too bad. Um, and, and you got a bigger grip on things. So you're not just the, the lost boot kind of walking around anymore. You kind of know the flow of things and how everything's going. Yeah. Um, so coming back, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty chill. You know, we, we knew that we had some time before we were going to be deployed again. And before we started another workup, uh, I think we ended up having, let's see, it was, we came back March, April, 2008. So we had a little over a year back, um, before we deployed again. Uh, so from that time, when we first got back, it was right back into training, but it wasn't, um, anything that was shocking, you know what I mean? It was just kind of run of the mill yeah. backyard shoots at, uh, El June. We did, uh, some training for, I think it was second brigade. They went to NTC for training and first brigade, not all of first brigade went, but a bunch of us went to take, pretty much a bunch of officers to facilitate their training and evaluate their training at NTC. Uh-huh. Um, so those were like the big items before we did our workup for our 2009 yeah. deployment. Um, NTC is great. Like I've never yeah. been out there for an exercise. Um, I've gone out there. I lived the ghetto rock star life of a JTAC and stayed in the uh, hotel on base there. Damn right. And then, <laughs> and then drove out to the range every day and controlled F-35s and would come back to the hotel and drink some yeah. beers at night. Yeah, you can't complain uh, so, about that, man. <laughs> so my NTC experience is vastly different than probably most people that's been to NTC. But for yeah. those that don't know, NTC's uh, out in the middle of the desert. Uh, for those that are in the Marines, no, 29 Palms. It's basically like 29 Palms. It's just like a main mm-hmm. side area. It's actually shittier than 29 Palms. I don't know how much time you spend at 29 Palms. But at least mm-hmm. 29 Palms, you can drive outside the gate and there's actually like restaurants and uh, like bars and stuff like that. NTC mm-hmm. is like 25, I think it's like 25 miles from anything. The closest thing to it is <laughs> Barstow and Barstow yeah. is not like, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, NTC yeah. kind of sucks its way out there, but yeah. Um, so, but yeah, yeah go ahead, sorry. whenever, oh, I was just gonna say whenever we, we did that um, for the, for second brigade. Hmm. I don't remember exactly when that was, but at that point I started being groomed to be a team chief for our next deployment. Uh, so I was a corporal by then. I remember that I was a corporal by then. Um, and I started being groomed to be a team chief, but I didn't know what team I was going to. A lot of the team chiefs that we had from the Iraq deployment left. Um, quite a few of them went to Marsoc was becoming a thing then. Yeah. And they went to, I think it was fire Splatoon at the time Yeah, uh, to try and pioneer that. So a lot of our team chiefs from, that 2007, 2008 deployment left very shortly after to, to go over to Marsoc and, and start doing cool things over there. That's cool, man. Um, that, that would have been yeah. one of the first guys over there then <clears throat> yeah. around that yeah, time yeah. frame. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, had you gone to JFO mm-hmm. at this point, the Joint Fires Observers course? So, so the way JFO worked for us, all the team chiefs for that, that would be team chiefs on our next deployment in 2009, Gunny uh, German was at lant at the time mm, yeah and he brought jfo down to us um and there was it was him and i remember a couple civilians and they set up all their stuff in the old pair loft the old second angle co pair loft that we were using as our supply building mm-hmm. uh, they set it up there the unit went to 
somewhere in West Virginia, I think it was, for training, except for the team chiefs that were going to be going through JFO. Okay. So all the team chiefs that we had then went through JFO on Lejeune, and like a mobile JFO, I guess, that, yeah. that German and some civilians brought down. Um, so that happened. I wish I knew it when that happened, but I don't remember what month it was, but it was mid-2008 maybe. I think that's when they were starting the uh, <clears throat> JFO program. I think that's when they yeah. were actually building it. So Sounds you guys right. were probably one of the test bodies for – because yep. I think it was him. Gunny <clears throat> Corinthy was up there. Um, uh, oh, God. I forgot another dude's name. He's going to – maybe if he hears this, he's going to – Curse the radio. I can't remember his name yeah. though, but he was up there as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, he, so I actually worked with that's when I first met Top German was um, I went up to Lant for EWTG Lant for um, the fire support coordinators course. They wanted me to go to that yeah. before I did my three six deployment. Briefly yeah. met him there, and then he actually taught some classes to us when we got I got back from Afghanistan. Um, he had just got back from Lant, and he was now the the head fires chief or whatever at, mm-hmm. at division. Um, so great dude, great dude to yeah. learn from. How, yeah, how was that JFO course for you? Uh, it, it was, I'm not going to call it a breeze because, you know, German was very tough on us considering that, especially the, the guys that were there, yeah. we were just, we were his boys, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you better uh, not so, fuck it up. <laughs> exactly. And, and we had, I remember there being, uh, some infantry guys there, uh, that were trying to do JFO. Yeah. And compared, I mean, you take, it's, it's just the way it's going to be. You take some Anglico guys that have some experience and, and put them next to some infantry guys that don't have the same kind of fire support experience as an Anglican does. Uh, they're going to struggle. Yeah. So the spotlight wasn't on us. Um, and none of us had trouble with JFO. It was, uh, if anything, it was more confidence building. Yeah. But, you know, German was was sure to give us the, 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 the tougher or more intricate things. Um, and if we fucked it up, we heard it from him. Um, <laughs> I don't remember any of us fucking anything up, but I remember hearing his wrath whenever the other guys were oh fucking my it God, up. Dude. You know? <laughs> I was helping him teach JFO primers when he came down to 10th Marines and he would destroy dudes. Oh my God. And I, I've, and ne- it, I've never been called a dildo that much in my life ever. And then if, <laughs> if you were, if you were an 0861, because the JFO primer at, at division you take guys from the <laughs> infantry battalions and CLB and stuff like that. We send all those guys mm-hmm. to JFO so that they have JFOs before the deployment. Yeah. And then mixed with 0861s. And then he would destroy everybody. But if you were an 0861 and you didn't know something about like call for fire or something like that, oh my oh, God. Yeah. It was like, what the yeah. fuck? You know, like, <laughs> that's your fucking job. And I, I you yeah. know, I, and you can't blame him either because yeah. that's the reality. Like, dude, that's your fucking job. You're supposed who. If you can't be turned to to know this, then who who's the commander supposed to turn to? You know what I'm saying? Like that's your 100%, fucking job. So 100%. I, I get it. You know, some people don't like it, and some people um, don't like the abrasive nature by uh, like people like him teaching. Yeah, but it's I don't know. People don't know the reality either. A lot of people don't know yeah. the reality of like you know being overseas and, and not knowing something. You know, you, yep. it's just not acceptable. So yep. that's a, hey, that's who- a great person to learn under for sure. The, the thing that the, kind of the way I saw it too, with taking it, um, with it holding people to, to a higher standard when it comes to learning that kind of thing is you, you're not only representing yourself, but you also represent other GFOs that are going to come after you. So yeah. if, if, you know, that one bad apple out of the bunch, um, ruins the, 
the name or reputation of a JFO because he just doesn't know his shit. Yeah. He's not doing any favors for the guy after him. You know, that commander is going to remember, well, I had a JFO before, but he didn't know shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and it just discredits the whole program. So I understand, um, that he was, he was very serious about, you're either going to pass and know it or you're not passing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's the way it should be for sure. Um, yep. so what was that like after that? So you get done with NTC, you go to, you do JFO, the mobile JFO team, and then you know, you're going to be deploying again soon. Where was your next deployment to? And did you know where, did they tell you like, Hey, this is, we're going to, we're going to be going. So we're going to focus mm-hmm. our, our deployment, uh, training on that. Yeah. So, so we knew one brigade from second was going to go to Iraq and one brigade was going to go to Afghanistan. And I believe it was set in stone from the beginning that second brigade was going to um, Iraq and first brigade was going to Afghanistan. We had, I don't remember how it got set up. Um, I think it was during the initial big Marine push into Afghan. They had sent over a MEB. Um, was that Marine Expeditionary Brigade, I guess? Yeah. Um, so they had sent that over and they wanted an Angleco team to go. And they sent a team from 1st Brigade, um, and I think they end up attaching with 1-8. You know, what year was this? 2008. No, 2009. At the end of 2009 is when they really started pushing everybody into Afghanistan. Because yeah. half the guys yeah. that replaced us in August of 2009... I think they were only in Iraq for like two months and then they flew them to Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. So first brigade ended up, we deployed to Afghan in May, 2009. Uh But we, you know, that team that had, had went over, um, they had went over much, you know, a a lot, you know, a few months before us. Um, so they, we, we knew at some point around then we knew, okay, first brigade is we're going to Afghanistan. Uh, we don't really know what we're doing over there, but, or what we're going to be doing. We know what we're doing. We're not, we don't know what we're going to be doing, uh, but we're going to go. So second brigade went to Iraq and we left shortly thereafter in May, 2009 to go to Afghan. It was just one brigade. That was it. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, where'd you guys end up going in Afghanistan? Um, so we, the team, you know, we all flew into Bastion Leatherneck. Um, <laughs> pretty funny story about whenever we first got there, uh, the second Anglico guys that were on that deployment, uh, uh-huh. the first brigade guys will laugh about it. Um, we, we flew into first, okay. So, so we go to Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. This is, um, in May, 2009. And, uh, we fly into Kyrgyzstan and we're like, okay, how are we going to get these 55 dudes that nobody's ever heard of into Afghanistan. So we, we got a flight into Bagram. And so we're walking around Bagram and there's army guys, you know, saluting everybody. And we're like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, so, and then, uh, sorry, my dog's walking. Um, so we get to Bagram. Okay. Now we're in Afghanistan. Let's get down to Leatherneck. So we end up getting a flight down to Leatherneck and man, there's nothing. We, We get on a bus from the flight line. They take us to this LSA on Leatherneck. And we see tents. They're all occupied. And we have no idea where we're supposed to go. So we took our, this, you know, in May, it's pretty damn hot. We took our ponchos and just strung them up on the side of a tent. 
in Leatherneck until they found out where we were going to be. <laughs> so we had, yeah, man. So we had a platoon of Anglicans um, just baking in the sun on the side of some other unit's tent. That's fucking uh, crazy. For a day. It was only a day. And then they found us, you know, they, they had these big circus tents. Uh, yeah. And they put us in a circus tent. And then from there, that began the conversation of, okay, these are the missions we can get in on. Where are our salts and our teams going to go? Um, so I didn't know. We knew that we may have guys working with the British before we got to Afghanistan. But I had no idea that my salt was going to be working with the British until we got to Afghanistan. Yeah. And then we had no idea, okay, this is the area we're going to be going. We had no idea of any of that that I knew of until we got there. So, so what 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 unit did you end up attaching to, and where'd you guys go? So Salt Alpha was in Nadi Elite, which is the the what do you call it a district north of Marja. Um, okay, it's west of Lashkargah and it's north of Marja. At the time yeah. nobody's in Marja. Um, so my Salt went there, and we had our team split. I was at um, kind of the southern half of Nadi Elite at patrol base Silab. We had a team at, um, name that base. I can't remember the name of it, man, but it was in Nadia Lee. It was in like the center of Nadia Lee. Um, so yeah, we were just North of Marja there. Okay. Yeah. I, I did. Yeah. I went to Marja in 2011 with three, six, and that was obviously yep. after three, six, what was it? Three, six, one, six. And, one of the Ninth Marines battalions did the clear in Marja, right? Um, in 2010, it, it may have been. I, I don't remember. I was with two nine, but this was after the clear of Marja. Uh, okay. um, so yeah. So fast forward to 2010, I was back there. But I was with two nine. I don't remember the units that did the push in. I think that um, I think those are the right units. I don't know if it was a Ninth Marines yeah. unit was there, but w- <coughs> excuse me, I'm, I'm I'm dying. I may have coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Not really, but I'm <laughs> I definitely have a cold right now, and I'm in yep. a major a major city in the West Coast, <laughs> and, we, yep. and I go to a school that's you know super diverse and full of foreign people, and I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna <laughs> die. So I have a cold right now. If I sound stuffy, yeah. Um, yeah. but so your Afghan deployment, you guys ended up going and and didn't really have a mission set. You just like showed up and it's like, hey, go to Afghanistan and support somebody. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was pretty much exactly how I understood 2009. Um, you know, the they, they were still setting everything up, figuring out where everybody's going to go, and we had one brigade of Anglicans to split up. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember what Salt Bravo did. Um, I think they worked mostly north um, of Leatherneck, maybe with like kind of Nowzad area, maybe I, I don't remember. Uh, I'd be lying if I threw cities out there, so I shouldn't. Um, I don't remember exactly what Salt Bravo did, but Salt Alpha was all with the British in around Nadia Lee, west of Lashkargah, on the 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 southern border of um, forces until you got into Marsha and south of Marsha. What was so, uh, what was like the environment like? Like the was it? I mean, was it an aggressive area at the time? You know, were you guys getting into a yeah. lot of stuff? Okay, um, so what yeah. was what would like your normal week look like for you? So. Um, me, I, I'll, I'll start from wherever we, we got in. Okay. Um, so we're at Leatherneck and we're finding out, okay, we're going to go with the British in Nadia Lee um, and go hang out with them there. And, uh, you know, you hear all these stories and you don't know what's true, what's not, but we're like, hey, man, the, the you're going to Silab and the Welsh guards are there. 
and uh, they had a six-hour contact at their patrol base yesterday. I'm like, fucking A. <laughs> Sounds good, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so that's the, the, the thought that we had going in. Um, and then once we got there, the Welsh guards were there, but they were leaving soon. And they were going to be ripped out with another unit because the British had something going on for elections that were coming up, and they did a surge pretty much. Hmm. Um, so we worked with the Welsh guards for um, maybe a month, maybe. And they had their own fire support team. The company that we were with had their own fire support team. So we were really just piggybacking off of them, tagging along the patrols, getting getting to know the AO. Yeah. Um, whenever they left, the Welsh guards left, and they went to another area four rifles came in and that's who we did the majority of that deployment, uh, supporting. Mm-hmm. It was B company. Pretty sure it was B company, four rifles. And they didn't have a fist team, no fist team. So essentially our fixed became their fist. Hmm. Um, and, uh, which was great. Uh, so going back the a general week, um, pretty much tag along with every, every patrol that they had that wasn't, just something local somewhere, you know, right around the patrol base. The the company was split up between three positions. Uh, and initially we had another, the, the, the salt split off a team and they came down there because it was, it was a very kinetic AO. Um, we get into the numbers of how many missions the team ran throughout our deployment. And you're like, Holy fuck, man, that, that is pretty kinetic. <laughs> um, so we brought another team down to kind of lighten the workload and they worked for about a month. Um, and then they ended up reconsolidating with the salt and went somewhere else. Um, but it was a lot of, uh, a lot of local patrols, uh, kind of close to the PB, um, just to resupply the other two locations that we had, um, that they had platoons at was an all day affair. Um, it'd be a company wide operation just to get down there to resupply. So man, it was, it was wild. Um, what was the biggest threat there? IEDs. Yeah. IEDs. Uh, B Company, IEDs and grenades. Um, probably had more casualties from IEDs, but they had a lot of grenade casualties. Um, so small arms fire. We had a couple guys get shot, but no. I remember it was nothing nothing major. Um, like one guy, I remember, uh, not as major as it can be, I guess. Yeah. Um, one guy got popped square in his, I don't know what they call their plates, but square in a sappy plate. Oh, that's really? the first time I, yeah, first time I had ever uh, uh, seen somebody get shot. Like, whoa, you know, the plates work, man. Yeah. You know, that gives you <laughs> um, a little bit of confidence, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, so it was, it was a lot of just trying to maintain whatever security they can. Yeah. But whenever you're on a Southern flank and the enemy has all of Marja to egress to, yeah. and they have free roam in Marja, they can come up anywhere, man. Yeah. They can come hit you absolutely anywhere. So they would come up there and mess with us. Um, and the British, they weren't very aggressive. So it was great for us as fire supporters because they just wanted to hunker down, shoot back a little bit, and let fire support do the job. And that was amazing for our fit because uh, we got tons of work. You know, well, um, What were you guys utilizing the most? IDF, so, air? Yeah, mortars, mortars and air. Um, yeah. And mostly fixed wing. We did get quite a bit of rotors. Um, About midway through that deployment, there was a span where our flights that were coming into, um, they called it a PB. It was, it was probably more like a a cop, uh, but the British called it a PB. It was officially PB Silab, uh, patrol base Silab. But it was more like a, a combat outpost. It was, 
Yeah, we had a a platoon of we had a weapons platoon there. We had a the British equivalent weapons platoon, um, and then just regular like a regular line platoon of riflemen, um, and also there was 105s there. Hmm. So it was more like a, a combat outpost. Um, how, where, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, you sent um, me that video of those 105s firing. Yeah, Were yeah, you shooting quite back? a bit. Quite a bit, man. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, I got a couple missions with them, which was kind of cool because I was there on on the PB with them and I'd go talk to them afterwards, and it was, it was kind of cool, man. Oh um, yeah, that is cool yeah. when you can talk to them afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, did you did you was the call for fire the same? Uh, I remember it being uh, slightly different, but nothing that would be challenging. I, yeah. I guess to pick up, you know, yeah. um, and a lot of that was went and talked to him before and said, okay, this is what we want to hear. This is what I may give you, but you'll understand it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't too bad. And it was, it was kind of convenient too. Whenever we used it for, if one of the other positions was in contact, we just pick up the field telephone and like hit their, hit the button so many times and they'd pick up, you know, oh, and you had cool. uh, like instant communication to the guys on the other side of the cop from you. That's um, cool. that you had to do the mission. So, um, yeah, it's what you were saying about the Taliban being able to retreat down to, down to Marja. It's interesting how they know the battle zones. They know the lines, like where units boundaries are and stuff like that, because they've they know where they get attacked and where they stop getting attacked. So, in the south into Marja was that anybody's battle space, or was that just like a open air? Like there was nobody controlling that area. Yep. So, so at the time, um, we're on. We were on the northern border of Marja, uh-huh. and Marines had started to go uh, down south, and they established Dwyer. And then okay. from there, Marine units started moving up north. And I don't remember who was on the we're on the northern border of Marja. I don't remember who was on the southern border. It was Marine units, but we never heard from them. They were miles away, you know. Yeah. Um, so there was the only people that were in Marsh at the time. Every now and then we'd get a call, and you'd see some uh, some SF dudes rolling over in Blackhawks going to Marsha to do some you know do some good work. Go do work. But um, yeah, yeah. And uh, but that was it. There was never anybody else down there. The huh. entire the the northern defense of Marsha was a huge, massive ID belt, um, and uh, there's just nothing there at the time. You know, nobody there. So, and we could only go in so far as a as a company of British. Yeah. Did you guys ever have any of your American vehicles get hit by IEDs out there, or is it or British at all? I didn't even have a vehicle. Our team didn't have a vehicle. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. So we flew in, and um, there there was probably a vehicle available for us if we needed it. Yeah. But we flew into Silab, and we didn't have a vehicle the entire time we were there. Um, the British vehicles. So they had whenever we first got in there, the Welsh Guards were still there, and they had a tracked. It was a very small tracked vehicle, huh. and they said it was really good for crossing canals. Never saw it cross a canal, but the only time I saw it um, was during whenever they did logistics runs. The British logistics folks from Bastion would come down. They'd have them with it, um, and they couldn't take an IED blast. Like It was like the second or third day there. We saw a guy that was in the back of one that got hit by an IED, and he came out mangled. Oh, um, man. So they didn't use them much. They had MRAPs, huh. and that's what you had. Um, so. Uh, yeah. Did you ever, uh, do you ever get to use the British weapons? Did you guys ever swap out rifles? Like, yeah, I'm going to take yours out. Yeah. Just to play around, man. <laughs> if, if the, well, if the, if the, the PB or the cop, whatever you want to call it, man, um, if they came under, you know, we'd, uh, get to play around. I think they had the, they had the bull pups, right? SA, SA 80. 
Yeah, I don't want to lie. I think that's what it is. That's eighty. Yeah, um, and get to play around on that. But uh, usually, I just I'm a uh, left-handed shooter, so I couldn't shoot it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds right. Yeah, it was a very bullpup design, from what I remember. Um, so never, never played around with that. Um, other than a couple times if the PB was getting contact and we went up to a tower uh, to go play around. They they had the saw. They had the saw exact same. They had two forties, but they were the two forty. Golf. The Marine Corps had the Bravo by then, but they had 240 golfs. Yeah. Uh, so familiar with that. Um, the saws they called, they called it Mini Me or something, mm-hmm. but it's the exact same, man. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, it's interesting you mentioned earlier about how you guys are getting attacked by IEDs and grenade attacks. I knew a guy, he was at Second England Co., Patrick Graham. Yep, I know. He yeah. was picked once team leader. I was picked two. He was picked once team leader on that deployment. Oh, no way. And yeah, he dude. was yep. telling me about how they were fucking chucking grenades over the wall, like yep. back and forth with the Taliban. I'm like, dude, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It, happened, it happened a few times, man. <laughs> dude, I could not yeah. imagine, like, you know, I've been shot at and stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Playing playing hot potato with grenades over a fucking wall sounds like a <laughs> shitty fucking time. That's yeah. cool. I didn't know you were on the same team as him. He was yeah. my when I got sent to the eleventh mu. He was my fire support officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good dude, very good dude. Uh, I, I got lucky. Yeah, I, I, I got love, lucky with him and my uh, targeting officer. I had. Yeah, yeah. He was um, he was good, man. I never had the pleasure of being on his team, um, but he always ran a solid team. And he knew he was a solid dude, and my team leader and him are like really good friends. So, yeah, um, yeah, they uh, they were they were they were they were pretty tight, and um, he, said, he always seemed like a cool dude, man. He yeah. is now he's a lowly staff officer somewhere, hating his life. Hate, you know? I guarantee he is. Guarantee he is, he's hating he, life. Yeah, <laughs> he is hating life, but he does work though. Um, yeah, he uh, yeah, but yeah, that's funny. Those fucking grenades, man. No way. Yeah, dude, and and I remember they had it was the the first time. Um, personally, I saw it and, uh, you know, cause we had a couple different positions and the PB that was closer to the little village that we had in our area. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They were getting grenaded every time they went in. Oh, every really? single time they got, yeah, every time for, for a while. Like, how, and, um, how would one of those attacks normally go? Like, you're just walking and then suddenly a grenade pops over a wall or something? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So this little village that we had, um, it was kind of gridded, and you had like little little paths that went went in between the compounds. Yeah. Uh, so your section or you know whatever patrol you're with would be going down whatever way, and then they would just get grenaded over the wall, and the shitheads would take off running. Um, I want to say one. I want to say a local told us one time that the Taliban used kids to do it. Um, oh, really? But but yeah, we we never saw the guys and. Man, you think about it. By the time you chuck your grenade um, or a homemade device, one of the guys that actually saw it, he um, he saw it flying through the air, and uh, he he said it didn't look like a grenade. He he tried to give them a depiction of what it looked like. Uh-huh. And it was like a homemade device. Huh. Um, so they, uh, you figure by the time you if you 
you know, pull pin, chuck a grenade. You got five seconds. You can cover a lot of ground in five seconds. Yeah. Especially if you're running out of a compound, you've got walls there, yeah. and then you're gone. By the time someone throws another grenade, you're 10 seconds away, maybe a little bit longer, 12 seconds away. Um, and you can, man, we, we, we never saw anything, any results of chucking a grenade back. Um, but naturally, you got to do something, right? So, um, fuck, man. That's just, yeah. uh, did you guys develop any kind of like TTP, like a reaction? Like, hey, if someone yells grenade, yep. then this is what you do. So one one thing that they started doing is every time they went into our little problem areas where the guys were getting grenaded at, uh, which was two two areas in our little company AO, it was uh-huh. just about guaranteed to happen. And the little village, the little gridded village, I say village, it probably had 10, 12 compounds in it. Um what the the British folks started doing was they had put guys up on the roofs. So as you um, move down through this little village, you'd have a guy up on a roof, and then they would just kind of leap and bound guys on the roof so you could see the compound walls. Um, I say I would say that that was probably about the only effective means they had of being able to counter it, and mm-hmm. and and it was effective. Um, it was effective, so. Well, that's good, man. That's just yeah. It's just such a different like a uh, strategy, like the whole chucking grenades. I never saw it. I never saw it on any of my deployments. Anybody throw any grenades at anybody? It's just, uh, and I'm okay with that. I know yeah. there was uh, who was it? You know, what was it? Kyle Carpenter got a, his Medal of Honor yep. for jumping on a grenade, right? And then what happened? Yep. Was he with Ninth yep. Marines? Yep, that was whenever I was with Two Nine. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was oh, he was Fox in your company. unit. Yeah, he was in Fox Company 2-9. I was in Weapons 2-9. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. let's talk about you come back from your second deployment. What are you now, a corporal, senior corporal, or a sergeant? I'm a sergeant then, yeah. Okay. yeah okay. I'm a sergeant then. Um, so, come back from Afghan. This is December 09. Uh, yeah, December 09. And uh, I'm a sergeant now. Just re-enlisted. Um, Reenlisted pretty much as soon as I hit the three year mark. Uh, they had that crazy bonus going, and I, I, I wasn't going to pass up on that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude. And uh, so I reenlisted as soon as I could, reenlisted in country, came back a sergeant. Tax free. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, it was nice, man. Um, so <laughs> then um, we, I remember we were at our award ceremony for, for 2009, and uh, Top German was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came and he talked to us. And, uh, you know, the, the, at this point, the old school guys that had been in Anglico for a couple of years, uh, we're talking to him after. And he said, Hey man, this is what's happening. Six ones, uh, Sergeant six ones can become JTACs and then go to an infantry battalion. And I was like, fuck yeah, man. Like I'm there, Let's you know, whenever, it. I, yep. hundred percent. And, um, pretty much all the team chiefs that were there were like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Um, so sure as shit, man, I, I had orders to go to Lant. Uh, I was still a second Anglico. I had orders to go to Lant. I think by February, um, February or March. And so, yeah, I went to land February or March. I want to say it was February. I had no idea what unit I was going to after. I just knew I was going to JTAC school. I was yeah. like, cool. Yeah, going to THP school. Um, what do you think about the schoolhouse? Uh, it was cool. You know, it was. I, I liked that it was a gentleman's course. Um, we Two other guys from Anglico went with me. Um, and we knew top German was there and, uh, the, the curriculum was 
I didn't have any problems with it. Uh, some guys, you could tell some guys did, and I understood that. Um, but it was good to get away from, from the regular fleet for a few weeks yeah. and uh, just kind of chill out and, and get official with Cass. It definitely you know? helped that you were with Anglico for a couple of years before 100%. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's just the way it is when you're surrounded by it, um, and you just pick it up. You don't really realize how abstract or different that may seem yeah. to to people that haven't been around it for years at that point. So, so you come back from TCP school, and then did you get attached to two nine from Anglico, or did you go to Tenth yep. Marines? Okay. Yeah, so I don't think that the plan was set there yet that Sergeant 6 ones are going to go through 10th Marines. Mm-hmm. I think if they were from 10th Marines, they were going to get TAD orders or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's what happened, but I was still a second. So I got my orders from second to go to 2-9, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I checked in. This was, it must have been March or April of, it had to have been very, very soon because we deployed not that long after for, or we left for our workup not that long after. So it had to have been March or April, 2010 at that point. How did the workup uh, with an infantry battalion differ from what you had done previously, your previous, your two previous deployments with an Anglico mm-hmm. unit? Okay. Um, so get to two nine and we did some, some small training around Lejeune and then we left for EMV. It was, it was EMV at the time. Um, no, no idea what it's called now. Um, but there we had, there's two JTACs from 10th Marines there. And we had our three facts, one mm-hmm. of, one of which was their officer. And the, they figured out, okay, this is how it's going to work. And I think the idea at the time that they had figured out was, okay, we're going to have a fact with each company. And then the senior JTAC, uh, he was only staff sergeant was going to go to the other company. Um, and then, Myself and the other sergeant JTAC were going to just kind of work around, go from company to company. Yeah. Uh, well, the, well, the workup it didn't work out that way, man. Uh, we just kind of did our own thing with um, with the command and integrated how we could. So the workup with at EMV, we didn't. We weren't running around with the company integrated in all their stuff. At least my, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember going out with – you remember he had an Evo around Lejeune. Um, what was his name? Bandu? Bandu maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah he had a blue Evo. Uh, anyways, he was, a, he was a sniper at 2-9. Hmm. Um, and we kind of knew of each other. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I ended up getting to go out with them uh, for one of the exercises. I don't remember which one it was. And hang out with them. Um, and I thought it was cool, but – 29 palms, man, it just sucks the life out of you, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, and I really wasn't doing too much training. Oh, really? Um, you didn't get a lot of controls out there? Not a lot at all, man. Um, I would only say a couple, if even. Uh, it's kind of, you know, my, my time with 2-9 from start to finish, because it was so rushed getting there and it was so rushed leaving, I think, is it's not a blur, but the details. I don't remember the details like I do when I was with second. You know what I mean? I think, um, um, do you know Eric Wilson? He was probably a sergeant then. Fire, he was probably the fire's chief. Yes. Wilson? Yeah, yeah yep. I think he yeah. was on that deployment. Yep. Yeah, he was. He was, he was um, one of the guys I, I that kind of taught me how, how what the fuck I was supposed to do as a fire support man since I was a lab yeah. mover. Yeah, yeah I, I remember I remember him. Um, I don't remember his face. I don't remember talking to him a lot. Yeah. Um, I remember he was around, but 
Um, he's an old man. I, I think he's yeah, one of the dudes I, that got recalled and then stayed in or, or <laughs> war started and he came back in because he originally came in in like the 90s or something like that. Yeah. 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 I don't remember uh, dealing or talking with him too much. Hmm. Uh, maybe a handful of times. Um, so when you get to, but, Af- so you get done with your training and stuff like that and, and you're heading to Afghanistan, you get to, you know, fly through Kyrgyzstan, spend a couple of days there yep. or whatever, hit Leatherneck, or did you go to Dwyer? Went to Dwyer. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's where we went on my first time to Afghanistan too, is Dwyer. So go to Dwyer, which is for those that haven't been there, but have been to Leatherneck, it's nothing like Leatherneck. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a bigger base and it has like green bean and, and chow halls and shit like that, but it's nothing like Leatherneck. It's not that big. Um, so from there, did you guys already know where you were going? So once we get to Dwyer, we knew the AR that we were going to, um, JTAC wise, the other Sergeant and I, I don't think we knew exactly what was going to be happening until, um, we actually ripped, um, for people as in relief in place. Pretty sure it's what it, what it is. Rip. Yeah. Relief in place. Rip Toa. Yeah. Relief in place. Transfer of authority with, um, I want to say it was a six Marines unit, but I don't remember exactly. Hmm. Um, once we, once we re ripped with them at Hanson, um, that's whenever I found out, okay, I was going to be shooting off to help out or work for weapons company. I was in Sistani. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other guy was going to one of the line companies. Oh, no, what year was, was this? 2010. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah Mid 2010. Um, so yeah. Huh. Yeah, I just remember uh, uh, Wilson came out there and relieved me when I was in Marja at Hanson, uh, yeah. 3-6. When I was with 3-6, he came out there with the 9th Marines unit and did the relief in place with us. But that was yeah. in 2011. So maybe he did both the relief in places for both the 3-6 deployments. That'd be pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I, 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 do remember a, uh, I do remember a Wilson with 2-9. And I know 2-9 went back to the same AO. He probably did, their, man. He's, their next rotation. That's probably that's probably it then. That's probably exactly yep. what happened. Yep. Um so how was that deployment different than like your Anglico deployments? Cause the Anglico, uh, you're a small team and you, you get a little bit of independence where you can move around and you know, you get a little bit mm-hmm. of freedom of movement on your missions and stuff like that. And they allow yeah. you to do other stuff. What was it like being at a battalion where it's like, Hey, this is our AO. We're strictly in this AO. We're not, you know, like you weren't going anywhere. This is where you're working yep. at. Um, you know, it, the entire experience, I think coming from Anglico to, the real Marine Corps, uh, how I like to say it. Um, and seeing what life was like with two nine from the get go was pretty, it was very diverse from what Anglico was like. Um, yeah. deployment was, uh, you know, they, they put together a couple different pieces of, uh, weapons company to make their own AO out in Sistani. We yeah. had, um, two mortar sections, a cat section, um, and the battle space, uh, battle space commander was, the mortars platoon commander, hmm. uh, great dude. Um, and, uh, I show up out there. They told me, okay, this is, they got their own little AO, but they don't have a fist team or anything. So you're going to go out there and you're going to do it. And I was like, cool, man. I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned. You know, yeah. they said it, it, it at the time and throughout our deployment, it was the more benign area mm-hmm. of two nines AO. So managing the workload, um, solo, I was, I was okay with, um, but it was interesting seeing coming from a deployment where I'm literally 15 clicks down the road from where I was seven months ago. Yeah. Um, but seeing the difference in working with British Army and Marine Infantry, 
Yeah. Um, oh, okay. or, you know, British Army Infantry and Marine Infantry. Yeah. The British love to use fire support. Loved yeah. them. But the guys I was with, man, no, no, they get shot at. They want to hunt them down. You know, they, they, they want to deal with it. <laughs> they want to close um, with, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever that uh, close that with destroy, the Marine Corps rifle. <laughs> seek out yeah. close with and destroy the enemy. <laughs> yeah, by fire and maneuver or something. I don't remember. Um, anyways, uh, it was really cool getting to see that, um, and I was happy with the guys I worked with because I was kind of happy that I had a hodgepodge group of dudes that were put together in this AO and they had three different positions and I managed, um, the fires for all three, but like mm-hmm. I said, it was a pretty benign area. Um, really? so yeah, at the time it was, um, the, the way we had an understanding of it, the way it was briefed to us is that Sistani at the time was like the rest and refit area for the commanders, yeah. the Taliban commanders that were operating in Marja. Yeah. Um, so throughout the deployment, you know, between the three positions, everybody got contacted more than a few times and there was a few IED strikes, but it was nothing like it was what I expected whenever I was with, like when I was with the British, um, or nothing like it was whenever the other companies, the other companies are in contact daily, uh, and their JTACs and their facts are getting tons of controls. And I'm over here like, yeah, let's just do a show of force because we're bored. Um, <laughs> let's, let's raise some morale real quick and do a show of force. When I was there, um, when I was there in 2011, we did the, we had the same kind of thing. We, our weapons company, um, that was their AO. They went to Sistani uh-huh. and they didn't have an, a Ford observer. So I sent Lamel, my, uh, one of my scouts named Lamel over there. And, uh, Sistani Gap was a shitty spot. They'd always that and like the tip of Sistani, they'd always hit yep. IEDs there. Yep. And uh I think the first Heimar strike that I did was on a, a dude in Sistani. And it was three guys, and they mm-hmm. um one of them had just come down from Pakistan to yep. teach these other guys how to put in IEDs. Like he was some kind of <laughs> bomb maker. So I was not a Kick ass. I was yeah, I was not I didn't feel bad about taking them off the battlefield, but Sistani was pretty active, uh, in 2011. That was like an active yep. area. Our weapons guys got a lot of work out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to discredit the the work that they did. They did a lot of great work and there was a threat and there was an ID threat, but fucking ID, man. Yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't so much of, um, a small arms threat, yeah. uh, as, there was in the rest of the AO. That's probably the best way to put it. There wasn't as mm. much of a small arms threat as there was in the rest of two nines a at the time. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I walked away. Uh, the other JTACs and the facts on that deployment, they walked away with multiple controls. Um, I walked away with with uh, a control on an IED team, um, and that was. I think it was just. It was more. It was less. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. There just wasn't as much small arms fire. Yeah, uh, it wasn't as correct. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when they do that uh, out there, when they, when they, when you would get it, it would be like hit and run. Obviously, that's right. You know, they'd yep. always have like a, they'd fire from a tree line that has a wadi in between them and the tree line. That way, you, it'd be hard to even get to them. So they'd shoot for a yep. second and then bounce, drop their yep. weapons in a field, and then yep. unless you just happen to have air on station or the blimp looking over there, like. You know, yep. you weren't going to get them a lot of times, yeah. which is pretty shitty and frustrating. Yeah. 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 It was, it was kind of the same way. Um, you know, the, the year prior, they, uh, you know, I, I got tons of air because if the other guys didn't have any patrols out or anything going on like that, I would always take them. And if I had a patrol out, I had the same priority as I did for anybody else. Um, so I run a lot of NTISR in my air there. Uh, for people listening, non-traditional insertion, surveillance, reconnaissance, using an aircraft to uh, look around and 
uh, see what sensors you see what you can pick up with sensors, cover friendly patrols, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so a whole lot of that. Um, I got plenty of air. It's just uh, there wasn't. We couldn't find the guys to eliminate IED teams. It was, it was pretty tough to do that. And then small arms engagements were just very sparse. Yeah, they're they're sparse. they're quick on putting IEDs in, so it's almost yep. you have to get lucky almost to. Uh, that was to that's find exactly. Them. It's hunting. That's exactly man. what happened with mine. It's hunting. You know, it's yep. uh it's a weird hunting, especially if you're working yep. out of a COC and you have access to the, uh, you know, the G Boss cameras and the blimp mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like you're just. Yep. All right, we know we're always coming from this area, so let's watch this spot for two days, three days. You know, yep. whatever. I'm going to watch yep. a single spot until I, one of them crosses, and sometimes it pays off, and you get to take some dudes off the battlefield. Yep, it's uh, yep. it's a weird world, though, for sure. Yeah. Um, what was it like um, when the whole Kyle Carpenter thing happened? Obviously, obviously, you know, you guys didn't know it was going to be a Medal of Honor yep. incident at the time, but um, had you heard about it in the battalion that hey, someone you know, there was a grenade attack and. Yep. So, uh, I remember, it, it, I, I remember it happening, but I remember like one specific thing about it. Uh, whenever they went to build that PB, they were in the middle of building a PB. Um, and I'll keep in mind where I was the deployment before in 2009, that AO, that Fox company two nine was in a year later, butted up to the AO that I was in with the British, uh-huh. right? The Southern, the Southern flank there. Um, and towards the end of 2009, we started getting hit with an anti-aircraft gun. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, dude. And it was towards the end. It was like last couple months, and we never found it. Hmm. Um, never found it. And it hit us probably like three or four times, and we just never heard from it again. Well, fast forward however many months later, um, and they're building a PB in this area, Fox Company 29 is, um, in north of Marja. That's kind of near where Sillab and all that was. They're AO's bordered. And while they're building that PB, they found like, I don't remember how many rounds, 300 some rounds of, uh, I think it was 23 millimeter rounds. Hmm. Um, they actually found the rounds for what I presume was this gun that was hitting us eight months before. Um, and then during that, I believe is when they got the grenade attack, um, that, that he was recognized for. I believe it was in the same operation of building that, that PB. Hmm. Um, and I remember hearing that there was a grenade attack and there was two casualties, but I don't remember hearing anything else about it. Um, while we were in country. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're on the other side of the AO, so maybe word just doesn't travel like that, but all we heard about it was there was a grenade attack and there was a couple casualties. Um, how far into the deployment were you when that happened? Oh man. That's that's kind of tough to put a date on. Um, you think it's around the middle or something? Middle of the end? Probably, yeah, middle. Yeah, probably month four, yeah. maybe three, three or four. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you guys still had a lot of deployment left over. Like, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, I think people forget that. <laughs> you You're not going to realize. It's weird. So when you're, when you're over there and you're doing stuff, uh, sometimes you don't realize some of it's coming back and being on the news, but you don't know mm-hmm. anything because you're working. You're just going to work every day. That's and, right. And you yeah. don't have daily, you don't have cable, you know, you're not like mm-hmm. sitting here watching the news constantly. And, and that time frame, I'm assuming you don't, you didn't have like regular internet usage, you know, on the daily. Well, unless mm-hmm. you were working in the COC maybe, but, yep. but you know, the connectivity people, people forget that you're like, um, 
I don't know, you're pulled away from everything. So mm-hmm. it's weird when you come back and you hear about stuff that you were doing or stuff that was going on in the AO and you get a more broad picture or you figure out more about it because now you have access to the information and stuff like that. And it's a bigger mm-hmm. deal than what you realize or something, you know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. At, at, at the time we had, I was at Bandini was the name of the little PB or cop, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, um, Bandini. I and, that. Yep. Yep. And Sistani. Um, and we had sipper and nipper and it never worked. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we had it. Um, and I remember God, that, that poor data guy, we had a data guy there. He's a Lance corporal Worst job. and first deployment. And that poor fucker, I felt bad for him every day because that shit never worked. And you could tell like he knew what he was doing, but it just never fucking worked, man. Yeah. And whenever we get a, um, a resupply convoy in sometimes another data guy would show up and they'd get it working for an hour and an hour later it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, so a lot of what we heard about what was happening across the AO was either just hearing it on the battalion tack, looking at it in Merck when the data did work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would hear of small things, um, uh, whenever we got like resupplies in and people would, you know, Lance Cooper underground start spreading, spreading word. Were you so, guys, do you guys have like running water and stuff out there then? No, no, we had bottled water. Um, we got in bottles of water and, we had like a little homemade shower in the mud hut. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when, no we, when I first got to Marja, we were at Fob Marja. Mm-hmm. Fuck. I remember. I totally forgot about it. It just popped in my head. I remember we. I got there. I flew in at night. It was nighttime. And my officer was like, hey, man, um, I'm going to introduce you to the master sergeant or to the office chief. Um, but he's everyone's sick. And I'm like, what? And there was some <laughs> bad chicken. Someone had cooked some bad chicken or something happened. And they were they had medevaced like twenty five percent of the people off the base because people shit. were shitting. You, I, dude, I was watch. I remember watching a dude run to the trying to run to the wag bag thing and then just completely shit himself. <laughs> and he was in PT gear and then just look just so sad, head down and just keep walking like, well, fuck. And all these yeah. dudes were puking and shitting everywhere. And then a car bomb went off the next day. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you know, this is my first time in Afghanistan. I'm like, what the fuck? But then it, it was a little better when we moved up to Camp Hans and we had they had uh, yeah. some some like decent shower trailers up there for us. But mm-hmm. living with no running water and stuff, man, is just yeah. It's it's I, rough. You got to be clean. You got to be mindful of your own cleanliness. It's fucking. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It was um. It was interesting. I mean, to to give them credit we living condition wise we had it a lot worse with the british um really i was i was very happy whenever i showed up to bandini i was like man we're sleeping in a tent with ac like dude that's awesome you know we didn't have that uh when we were with the british yeah so i I saw the 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 might of the american military and while the living conditions were not great by any means um i was i was pleasantly surprised yeah absolutely 100 percent. i was pleasantly surprised with the resources that we did have, um, Mm -hmm. being with a Marine infantry uh, battalion. Yeah. Yeah. When I was there, we were intense as well. When I first got there, they had me working at nights and during the day it was too hot and the generators wouldn't Uh, run. So I'd have to try to sleep in this tent during the daytime and it's just holding in the heat and it would get up over 110 inside the tent. And I remember I was so happy when my Lieutenant or he was a captain. I think, I think he, I, I was so happy when he got pulled to go do the information operations 
um, job. And mm-hmm. I had to take over the fire section by myself because then I could start working during the day and not be <laughs> in that fucking tent dying. Cause I was honestly, for the first 30 days, I was literally probably averaging one to two hours of sleep a day. Just cause it was crazy. Just, just impossible to sleep in. And fob Marge is so tiny. I would get up, I would get up and get dressed just to walk around the fob. So the sweat would have wind to cool me off. <laughs> and yeah. the fob is so tiny that it takes like five minutes to walk around it. It was just, I was losing yeah. my mind, honestly. I was literally losing it, my mind, and it was just rough. Fucking. It, it, th- that sounds like a dose of uh, low morale with with a hint of insanity, man. That would drive you crazy. Anybody, yeah, running on that long with that little sleep and yeah, just, it, dr- it drive you insane, man. The heat out there, man. The heat, the heat. It's fucking. I mean, I think the hottest place I've ever been is Kuwait. I think that's the most I've been to yep. Kuwait in the summertime, and that's fucking rough. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't sustained. And when I would go into a tent, it was air conditioned, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> there, it was just no escape and it was just fucking nope. miserable. But I don't know yeah. how long, um, or did, was there anything, did, did you want to talk about anything else of note from that deployment? Or is there any like specific events that you want to, you think would be interesting for people to hear? Um, I'm trying to think, man. Uh, no pressure. There wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. There wasn't too much <coughs> happening um, on the the fun side of things. Uh, there's there's some pretty pretty funny stories. Um, there's, uh, you know, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of what what would be applicable to talk about here. I guess you know what I mean. Um, the whole thing, man. Is there anything? Yeah, I, yeah, no, I don't want people. To, I don't want people to think that deployments are just people getting blown up and shot and stuff. It was it what was uh, something that was like absolutely hilarious that happened on the deployment? Because funny shit happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, two little stories here. One of them, one of them ties back to what I was saying with the difference in uh, in British infantry and Marine infantry. Um, so while I was there at Bandini, I was helping out with a watch officer spot. So the watch officers for our little company, mm-hmm. uh, minus COC, whatever you want to call it, um, was, uh, the mortars platoon sergeant, um, one of the section chiefs. And then I took over another shift of it. So when I wasn't doing air stuff, I would help out with that. I usually do a night shift. Yeah. Well, uh, so night shift, I'm, I'm there till however late, you know, and everybody knew, okay, if anything's going down in the AO, anybody's getting shot at or anything, mm-hmm. they come wake me up if I'm asleep, right, early in the morning. Well, one of the other positions had done a patrol, um, a dismounted patrol uh, in the morning, and I knew it was happening. But, again, if anything goes down, just come wake me up. Yeah. Um, and I wake up one morning, and I go outside and light up a cigarette. I'm, you know, still, like, still bright, you know, so I'm trying to get my bearings. Light up a cigarette, and I'm, like, oh, stretching. I look over and I see a group of Marines like gathered around something. I'm like, well, all right, let's go see what's going on. I walk up and there's a fucking dead Talib right there in the middle of our PB. Oh, no way. I was like, whoa, like where the hell did this guy come from? You know? Um, And they're like, yeah, there were some other guys there that were from the other position. Um, They were on a dismounted patrol. They got in contact and smoked this dude. And it was over so quick that they didn't think they needed to come get me. You know, that's Um, crazy. Yeah. That's good. Not very often that happens. (laughs) Yeah, it was just pretty funny, man. Uh, and they recovered the body, and then uh, they brought their trucks out and brought it up to us because what we did, there was a couple times where our guys in Sistani produced results and they recovered a body. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, what they would do is bring the body back, and we use that as leverage with the local elders to talk to us. Like, mm. come get the body, talk to us while you're here. And and it was very, it was a good move. Yeah. From our our, our battle space owner, he was he was a smart he was a smart guy, man. He was a very smart guy. Um, and uh, so I, I, I'll never forget that, man. I was like. You know, just wake up just another normal day and I see some of the guys. Yeah, see, see the guys from the other position are here. Oh, what are they here for? Go up there and fucking dead dude. But whoa, holy shit, man. Um, yeah, um, that was pretty good, man. Uh, obviously, uh, we did have one KIA um, and our AO that deployment. Um, that was a pretty tragic time. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty tragic uh, because things in the, the deployment were going fairly well, you know, yeah. we had a handful of ID strikes. Um, I don't believe we had taken any casualties up to that point. And then that day we took like five casualties oh, no and one, way. Of them, one, one of them was KIA. Yeah. Um, so that was, uh, that was October. Um, so it wasn't at the beginning, wasn't at the end. Um, that was a pretty, pretty tragic time. My control, um, that was due to an ID. I felt pretty good. Like I felt, before that, I felt like I wasn't I wasn't getting much work, so mm-hmm. I was kind of torn. I was like, man, maybe I should see if I can go to one of the other companies. Um, but I ended up getting a control shortly after that on an ID team, and that kind of validated, okay, I, I need to be here, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty good. Um, that control is uh, is pretty funny looking back on it. You know, three guys on a motorcycle. Oh and, shit! Uh, yeah, man. and uh, it was a kilo Hellfire, kilo Hellfire being shape charged. Pretty sure that was it. Um, off of a Cobra, and uh, it only killed one of the guys on a fucking bike, man. Yeah, and one of the guys was stunned. He's laying there, you know, and the other guy takes off running. So he'd come in with some guns and uh, and take care of the guy running. And then as they're doing a flyover, looking at the second guy that was on the bike, he's moving. Uh, he's going to die, but. Um, he was still moving at the time. And, uh, you know, as, as dark as it may be, that was, uh, obviously as a fire sport, that's like a highlight of, of that deployment. When I look at that, um, not only because it was a control, but, um, and it was a dramatic control, you know, guy running down the road. Shit yeah. Like that. Um, not only because it was a dramatic control, but because it has significance to, we had just lost five guys from an IED. Uh, well, we lost Man. one guy. And took the others were casualties uh, from an ID maybe a month prior. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly the date of that control, but it was shortly thereafter, or maybe within a month. So, so um, th- those dudes—that's what happened to those other dudes. They were hit by an ID. Yeah, yeah, it was an ID. I think what they end up determining was it was a pressure cooker ID that was uh, strung up on the side of a wall or in a tree. Um, it was elevated, and um, it was remote detonated. Which was kind of odd because there were some engineers that came that they were just there to hang out with us for a couple of weeks and they had the man pack ECMs. Um, and the engineers, you know, they were carrying those man pack ECMs and, uh, and the remote detonated IED, what they determined it was, still ended up uh, detonating. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it killed uh, Sergeant Frank Zeringer and then wounded um, a few other guys. I want to say. There was five guys total that got medevaced from that. I think they, um, they named a PB after Zeringer after that. They did. Yeah, shortly thereafter. Um, uh, that PB was pr- pretty much the 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 area that was um, – let's see here. The area that was of note in that area was a small bazaar 
that was there. And we always saw people there and it was known that like, you know, the local talents would meet up there. Um, so that patrol was going there that day and they ended up putting the PB right next to where it happened. Uh, um, yeah, it was like, it was like right there along the same road. I don't remember what the route was called, uh, but it was right there in the same area. So yeah, they ended up doing that PB while we were there. Uh, and then his section, that cat section that Zeringer was a part of, um, they're the ones that occupied that while we were there. Hmm. So, so when this, this deployment was coming to an end, what was, what was the next step for you? Like, did you already know if you were going somewhere else or anything like that at the end of the deployment? Uh, uh, all I knew, all I knew was, okay, I'm, I'm coming back until the post-deployment leave block. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going back to Anglico. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, fuck yeah, man, that's cool. You know, yeah. um, going back to second as a, as a Sergeant JTAC, um, I was like, man, maybe I'll get to stay with second Anglico. You know, I don't know. It'd be cool. It'd be super cool. Maybe the stars but, will align. Yeah. Fuck. No, that didn't happen, man. <laughs> so, uh, we get done with our post-deployment leave block. Um, and, uh, I guess detached from two nine and I checked back into second mm-hmm. second is deployed at the time. Um, they're deployed to Afghan. The entire company is deployed. So I checked in with the RBE and they're like, man, where'd you come from? And I was like, I was TAD to two nine My orders are up. I'm back here. And they're like, okay. Well, shortly thereafter, somebody said, Hey, you got to call the monitor. He wants to talk to you. I was like, Oh fuck. Here we go. Here we go. Um, yeah, here we go, man. That dreaded call. Um, because I figured if I was staying with second, he wouldn't have said anything. He wouldn't have wanted to talk to me. Yeah. Um, so I call him and, um, you know, hey, how you doing? And it was pretty much, I don't remember the specifics of the phone call, but it was like, no, where do you want to go? Do you have a preference of anywhere? He said, man, you're going to Oki. You're going to Fifth Angle Co. It's like, we're all right. Do, do I really need to? It's <laughs> yeah. my first time getting orders uh, like that. And uh, he's like, yeah, I've got you slotted. You're, you're reporting in. I think it was no later than August. Yeah. August or September. And we had just gotten back in February, March, mm. something like that. It's like, fuck me, man. Come on, dude. Um, so yeah, I came back. And then from there I was like, all right, well, I know I'm going to fifth. I have this amount of time to, to leave. I'm, there's RBE at second. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows anybody. I was like, well, I'm just going to take off for a little bit. So, um, I hung around the area obviously, but, uh, I didn't show up to work for like two weeks. And then after that, I checked out uh, quickly, whatever the checkout process was. And then, uh, yeah, started the the move to Oki. Yeah, it's a process. It's an administrative yeah. process. Like, yeah. know, well, I mean, were you single at the time or I don't know, were no. you married or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was married <laughs> with a kid. And, and the thing was, is I had some stuff I wanted to take care of at the time which kind of constricted my, my timeline there, you mm. know, with, uh, with trying to get over there. Um, so were you going accompanied or unaccompanied? Unaccompanied. Oh, unaccompanied. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the idea was I was, I was trying to get out of my marriage. Um, oh. and, and, and uh, yeah, I had, I had had my mind set well. to that. It was like, yeah. Um, I was trying to do that and I was like, man, how the fuck am I going to do this? I got a kid. Kid's kind of sick too. So that, that, complicated things uh-huh. so in addition to the checkout process of going over there i had to also make sure that my kid was enrolled in um uh, I know it's called what... the exceptional family member program yeah efmp yeah yep, yep. so i had to make sure that was done that was just another stressor on it um and from the get-go man it was just uh i really dreaded going to oki uh, yeah. you know for that so yeah I, I knew i was going to unaccompanied 
Um, and I knew this had been in the works for a while and I was trying to, I told myself, okay, get back from this deployment mm-hmm. and we're going to start that process, whatever it may be. Um, of, uh, you know, and yeah, so then go to Oki, uh, checked in, I guess it was August. I remember it being August, September, somewhere around there, um, into fifth Anglico. How was that compared to second Anglico, um, you know? Well, man, my time with fifth, um, it's kind of skewed a little bit. The check-in, check-in and all that was, was fine. It was just like anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I show up and they're about to go on an Afghan deployment within a few months. Um, and where I check in, I'm, um, uh, talking to the Sergeant Major and, uh, what year it was, was like this? 2011. This is, yeah, 2011. Okay. Third quarter of 2011, maybe second quarter. August, September, whenever that was. And um, the idea, I believe the idea there was for me to go to 1st Brigade when I first got there mm-hmm. um, and then deploy with them on the company deployment to Afghan. Uh, and checking in, talking to Sergeant Major. Uh, I was like, Sergeant Major, I'm going to be honest with you, I just got back a few months ago. I've got some personal things I would like to try and get taken care of um, and, you know, some just personal stuff going on. Um, and... Uh, I don't remember the sergeant major's name. He's a really, really good sergeant major. Obviously, the you know E five and below had their typical complaints of what sergeant majors uh, yeah. do and say. But yeah. looking back on it, he was a really good sergeant major. I don't remember his name. Um, but uh, you know, my, there's no real highlights from my time with fifth. But we'll get into it in a little bit. Well, anyways, what ended up happening um, was I got moved from first brigade to they had a newly formed third brigade uh-huh. i don't know if it was newly formed but it was a third brigade we didn't have that second so to me it was new and what that essentially was was the third brigade was a mu brigade mm. uh, fuck all right well that's cool there's a mu coming up but it's not for a little ways so the company deploys um and i was with third brigade mm-hmm. uh as a team chief as a team chief with third brigade because another guy that came with me from second was the salt chief mm-hmm. um and I don't remember if he showed up before me or if he showed up after me. I think he showed up after me. Anyways, so by the time that happens, I'm uh, I'm over here chilling with 3rd Brigade. And um, and then the company deploys. 3rd uh, Brigade has a Mew coming up. Um, and then I destroyed my ankle. Uh, I, I wish it was a cool story, uh, but it's not, man. We were playing football one day. Um <laughs> Tore a bunch of ligaments in my ankle, and then, uh, and then th- this starts. This is like the downhill spiral of my career, you know. Was, was when this happens. Um, so, anyways, uh, just, uh, tore a bunch of ligaments in my ankle, uh-huh. um, and I'm in the barracks, and I'm crutching, right? Because can't bear any weight on my ankle. Yeah. They say you're you're on crutches for like three weeks, and then oh, you'll be able to sucks. walk. Nah, it gets better, man. But you know, but wait, there's more. <laughs> um, so I'm in the barracks, and I'm crutching. And I go. I had to go up up to the fourth deck for something. I don't uh-huh. remember what it was. We had a shared barracks. I don't even remember why I had to go up there, but I had to come down. I'm on crutches. Man, I fall down some fucking stairs. I'm almost <laughs> at the bottom stair, oh and my God. Uh, lose my balance on crutches. Lose my balance on crutches, and the duty's right there in front of me. And I'm like ten steps from the bottom floor. You know, I almost made it, and I fell backwards. And uh, you know, like on stairs, they got the little lip. Yeah. It's like a little rubber lip. Well, yeah. my ankle caught that man. It broke my tibia. Oh my um, god! Yeah, dude. So Fuck. back to B, back to BAS. They do an X-ray and they're like, "Man, it's so swollen we can't see anything." So I had to go to the hospital. Oh fuck! 
get to the hospital. They do an X-ray. And they're like, yeah, you 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 did it in pretty good this time, man. They're like, how um, bad did you not want to go on this mew? Damn. Apparently, man. Yeah. That's you know, looking back, that's probably what it looked like. It probably is what it looked like. Um, but man, that sucked, dude. That was five, four or five months on crutches. Um, four or five months, four or five months on crutches, two surgeries. What a shoulder um, workout. Oh, dude, it's on Okinawa with the humidity and I ain't got no fucking car. I ain't going nowhere anyways. You know what I mean? So God, it just sucked, man. And, it, and I was still fairly new to the unit. So it ain't like I had a homeboy back, like, dude, will you just bring me back something to eat? Yeah. You know? Um, Damn. yeah. So, uh, God, that sucked, man. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, dude, uh, four, it's like four or five months. I had a surgery within a week of breaking my tibia. Uh-huh. And then they had, they put the hardware in and then they had to take the hardware out because I guess how it broke, they were saying that you can't bear weight on it or it'll snap the screws off in your ankle. Um, I was like, well, I obviously don't want to do that. that so sounds not good. Yeah, man. Uh, so second surgery was like four or five months later and they put me in a boot. So in that time, while I'm on crutches, the third brigade, which is also the RBE for the company deployment, doesn't mute. So there's even less people back. So during that time, the majority of my time at Fifth Angle Co. was on crutches or in a boot, teaching a class every now and then to the guys in Third Brigade, mm-hmm. and I became barracks manager. Oh, and man, fuck, I, man, I rotted away, dude. I went from a fucking JTAC, you know, with You're- an infantry battalion. To a fucking barracks manager that teaches classes every now and then. You're a legitimate former action guy. (laughs) My God, man. I rot it legitimately, legitimately did psychological damage on me, man. It was, I I rotted away. That's, that's, that's where. There's not much worse than being underutilized to the point where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I feel like I'm wasting my time. And then you're, you have a chip on your shoulder too, because you're like, Why the fuck am I not out being able to do this? Like I'm the guy for this, but I'm over yep. here doing this. This is bullshit. Like that yep. sucks. One million percent, man. Um, That's rough, dude. So, yeah. So, I, I really, my time from then on, man, I just rotted away on Oki. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I end up, I end up seeking, um, uh, seeking out mental health support because I knew I was depressed. Yeah. Um, and it just, well, I mean, it was, it, it, I was mean, it sucked, man. At it least you just, had the self-awareness to be like, you know what? I need to, I need to go talk to somebody. Yeah. 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 How, how was that and, received? So with, because I was already just, uh, an empty spot, yeah. uh, in the unit. Yeah. I was already, I was on crutches. Couldn't, couldn't walk, you know, anything. Um, the unit was understanding of it and That's the third brigade platoon commander, um, was in the middle of rotating out. I don't remember if he was getting orders somewhere or getting out of the Marine Corps. But anyways, um, while the guys are out on ship um, and the company is deployed, there's hardly anybody back there. It's like yeah. me and – yeah, I mean literally like probably 15 guys in all of Fifth Angleco on Oki. Um, so I had all the time in the world to do it. The, I had more headaches from the clowns of barracks managers on uh, Camp Hansen than I did from the, from Mangoka, uh, oh, yeah. with all that. Yeah. 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 Um, Fuck. God, it, it just sucked, man. So, uh, literally I, I just felt like I was rotting away on that island. Um, yeah, very much a low point. So what, what was after yeah. that? What'd you do after so, Mangoka? So after that, um, they, 
so from fifth, they were saying the, um, cause I was at this point, I've been there for a little over a year, uh-huh. 14 months, maybe something like that. I don't remember the dates. The dates are, it's about 14 months or so. I remember the unit coming back. Yeah. Uh, well, the Mew came back and then the company came back and man, shortly thereafter, I guess because the unit was back in, in country or back in Oki, um, they got the ball rolling to get me out of there, man. Um, and I was in a boot at the time. Um, I wasn't. So you were just going, that injured guy at the unit. Yep. Oh, yep. that sucks, yeah, dude. man. Dude, it sucked. Yeah. Everyone they, looks they down only, on the injured guy a little bit. They're always like, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Not um, necessarily, but, but you know but what I'm saying. I, I mean, I made enough of an impression with some of the guys for like the, the week and a half or two weeks I was with first. I'm living in the barracks, too. So I'm living with these guys before they deployed that. A couple of the guys were like, man, I wish you could have came with us to uh, to Afghan. I felt pretty guilty about that uh, yeah. in the the years after. Yeah, I really did. Um, um, and they, so the, I remember the unit coming back and man, it was like, once that ball got rolling, I was gone, dude. And, uh, gone what they determined unit or, okay. Yeah. So, so, so here's where I end up going. Um, the, between the medical side on Okinawa, they determined, okay, I don't need to be on Okinawa anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that meant was, okay, they're going to send me to wounded warrior battalion. And I'm like, well, let's move to Warrior Battalion and tell me, okay, well, maybe it's I'll go over there, get enrolled in like physical therapy for my ankle, um, you know, and I'm still continuing with the uh, with the mental health stuff, um, and I'm thinking uh, I'll go over there and get enrolled with them and just help whatever staff do at Wounded Warrior Battalion. Um, so I get sent from Oki to Wounded Warrior Battalion East. Um, and I find out, okay, well, I'm not there as staff. I'm there as a patient. Uh, and I was like, well, what does that entail? And they said, uh, I found out I'm selected at this point. It's kind of a funny story about when I got selected. Um, I found out, uh, so what does that mean? They're like, well, you came here, 97, it was like a crazy high percentage. 97% of people that come here are medically retired. Um, I'm like, okay. So obviously I fall in that 97% is what I'm thinking at the time. And, um, yeah, they're, they're like, okay, this is like our little check-in process. And they had a check-in process where it's like all you do is you go to your initial like medical appointments where they find out, okay, this is what you need to do here. Mm-hmm. And you're OFP other than that. Um, so I really wasn't going to complain about it. But, again, I realized it was at that point that I checked in. I realized, well, I'm done in the Marine Corps. Like I'm never going to be a 6'1 again. I'm not going to do any JTAC stuff. That sucks, This man. is it. This is it. Um, yeah. So, uh, what was your impression of Wounded Warrior Battalion? Because there's a time when a lot of the dudes that were there were guys that had been injured in combat or yep. something like that. And then it started to become like those on the outside. And, and my ex worked with some of those dudes. Um, uh-huh. So I, I kind of saw it as well. And then my, my old neighbor was actually a platoon sergeant for Wounded Warrior Battalion. And okay. he made it sound like. There's a lot of malingerers just hanging around there trying to swap stories on what to uh-huh. tell the doctor so that they can get better benefits and people mm. trying to milk the system. Um, and I'm okay. not, I'm obviously, I'm not saying everybody there is like that or anything like that, I'm, but I would like to get a perspective from somebody that was there as a patient on what yep. your thought on that. If, the, if you saw something like that or if that's kind of an overblown uh, like mm-hmm. rumor. So this was... You know, because at the time, look at the time that Wounded Warrior Battalion's been a thing. If it still is a thing, I'm not sure. I think, um, yeah, it is. 
yeah. So this was 2012, and uh, <clears throat> this is 2012, and I show up, and my impression is like, man, what the fuck am I doing here? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like looking at the guys that are there, and um, I would say it was a very high percentage of people, 70, maybe 70% are Purple Heart recipients. Um, you know, it's like I'm going to a formation, an accountability formation, um, with guys that are double amputees, single amputees. Yeah. And here, here I am just with a fucking destroyed ankle, and my mind's like, uh, you know, a little bit gone. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I don't need to be here, man. You know, like, my, this spot that I'm here for should be with somebody else. Yeah. So I didn't see much of the um, malingerers, but you could see how it would breed an environment for them. Yeah. Um, 100% you, be, you can, because the resources that are there, there's, there was at the time, there's an insane amount of resources there for, um, your, your VA stuff, your, um, stuff you can still do in the Marine Corps. There were guys that were there that were getting an active duty paycheck while also getting a social security, uh, disability payment. Oh, really? There, yeah. And, and I always saw it was like, I don't know the legality of that, but it seems a little fucked up, right? Because you're still a Marine. You're still getting, you know, your active duty pay. Yeah. Um, so maybe in a sense that Double could be dipping. perceived. Yeah, th- that could be perceived as it. I never understood what it was, what that guy's situation was, but yeah. everybody knew about it. Yeah. Um, and knew that it was a thing. I never knew um, what was going on there. So backing up, my experience, I didn't see – too much of them lingerers or any kind of stuff mm-hmm. like that lingering going on. But I, I could see how it would breed that for it to be easily doable by other people that were there. Yeah. Um, th- that would come in the years prior. I know my, later. my ex was telling me how like these organizations, these charitable organizations and stuff, or just companies that want to be a nice company would just yeah. show up and be like, Hey, we bought lunch for everybody. Like we're catering lunch yep. for everybody. Hey, yep. everybody gets an iPad or everybody with this yes. issue gets an iPad. Yes. And then there's people like, yes. well, I have that issue so I can get my iPad. Yes, I did. Okay. I did see that. I, I didn't think about, I didn't think about that, man. Um, there's a couple stories I can tell from there that I saw and I thought, man, this is pretty fucked up, you know? Yeah. Um, there, the whole iPad thing that was going around, it was, they were saying, <laughs> Fucking if iPads. you have, yeah, it, it was, it was iPads or, uh, what are the reading tablets? Oh, yeah, the Kindles. Kindle, Kindles. I think they had both of them. Hmm. And they were saying if you have, I think it was for trouble, for people that had trouble with memory, mm-hmm. you could keep it as an organizer. In theory, I get the idea, man. But who ain't got a smartphone? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, I, I was like, they're handing them out, and there's an organization that's buying them. It's not costing the unit any money, but there's an organization that's going out of the kindness of their hearts. And everybody had a little fucking iPad mini. I'm like... I always denied it, um, and the idea was like I use my phone for everything. I don't need a fucking iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who, who who does that? But there was organizations that just threw stuff at the unit. Yeah, and and it got handed out to everybody. You know, there's uh, charitable organizations that would take guys on trips. A lot of guys went on hunting trips. That's um, cool. Yeah, it was it was cool for the guys that did. I never did anything like that. The only thing I did do it was pretty cool, and it led to some awesome opportunities later um, was they said, uh, who's into racing? And uh, I was like, well, I've done a couple autocrosses, you know, how about that? And um, so they took 
me and a couple dudes, we left from Jacksonville and drove to Charlotte because there was a guy that wanted to host some Marines. And this was like a base thing. They took like 10, 12 Marines from all of Lejeune. And four of us were from Wounded Warrior Battalion. So we all drove out to Charlotte, um, got a hotel, and he hosted us in a luxury suite at the Coca-Cola 600. Hmm. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. cool, man. Like, Yeah. And, and the thing was, is you had to say if you're interested in racing. I was like, well, I don't really care for NASCAR, but I've done some autocrosses. You know, it's cool. Um, and uh, I've done some <laughs> – damn right especially in an AC luxury suite with all the booze, all the food you want. Um, so we end up doing that. And uh, a good buddy of mine, I don't, I don't know if about putting his name out there just based on his, I'll probably, I'll, I'll leave him out of it. We've become, become really good friends over the years. Um, he organized a trip um, to go participate with Mission Motorsport in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mission Motorsport in the UK is a um, UK Armed Forces-based charity that it takes uh, veterans and puts them into racing, in a oh, racing cool. environment. And they also do all kinds of everything motorsports-related. Uh, they have their hand in it some way. Well, this guy um, that was outside the Marine Corps, outside influence, decided that he wanted to take some guys over to try and see what they have going on just to brew some ideas of if this could work in the U S USO of North Carolina took, um, there was like a few of us from wounded warrior Battalion East and a few guys from whatever the army equivalent is warrior transition battalion. I don't remember. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea was you put in a application to say, do you want to go? Um, and two of us decided we wanted to, we were interested to put in the application mm-hmm. that the guy that said, yeah, I'm going, man. He didn't even fucking show up for the flight. Oh, like he completely, he completely pissed it away. I don't remember what his name was. Oh. Um, so there ended up only being three of us, two army cats and myself going. Um, and that was really cool, man. It, it got me, it showed me, um, the, you know, we went over to the UK and pretty much did a, uh, a tour of all the tracks in the UK. So we got to see Silverstone, Brands Hatch. Uh, those were the two, the two big ones. Um, super cool. Um, what a great so opportunity. That, exactly, man. And and I wouldn't have been – I would never have been able to do that at the time. You know, on I'm a staff sergeant at this point on staff sergeant uh, pay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. To yeah. do something like that. It was cool. And, and – uh, yeah, it, like I said, there was organizations that do that because when you're there, you have nothing else going on. You you know that your your time is just ticking. You find out, okay, well, you're going to be retired this day, whether you like it or not, man. Yeah. Um, and you can appeal it. And what I did see a lot of is a lot of people trying to appeal like they, they didn't think that they were getting what they deserved. Um, and people would be at Wounded Warrior Battalion for years. Because they were chasing that hundred percent from the VA, you oh, know what really? I mean? Yeah, you did see that. You did see some of that. <sighs> I don't and, get and, that, man. Yeah, I, don't get the, I mean, I get it if you're injured and like you're legitimately hurt and stuff like that. But there's so yeah. many guys that that's like their goal. Like, if I can get a hundred percent, it's like, dude, you didn't even do anything. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you know. Yep, yep. I mean, what it a was scam. It, there was guys there that <laughs> spent literally years um, just appealing and not doing shit. 
know yeah. what I mean? Like fucking off. They'd show up a couple of days a week to 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 the unit and getting paid. Getting paid, getting paid to, to skate, man. See, that's and, the kind of bullshit I think people see, and they see guys yep. that were in their unit that are doing that, and then it gets yep. around like, yeah, these motherfuckers, <laughs> you know, like, yep. yeah. So, do you still race? I know you. I've known you. I know you yep. took your bike out. What kind of bike yep. you got? Uh, I got a few of them. Uh, so I have a uh, I have an R six. That's my track bike that uh, I've sent you some pictures of. Okay. Uh, with the with the the Jay Kramer graphic swag on it. Um, <laughs> So that's my track bike, um, and that that this this can lead into what I'm doing now. Also, um, so I got out of cars. Let me back up. Got out of cars shortly after I got out because I wanted to start doing track days. Mm-hmm. And I realized how expensive it is in a car. Super pricey. Um, yeah, I was like, well, I can't afford that, man. Fuck this. So I, I, got, I sold I had an M3 at the time. Um, I had an E46 M3, and I sold it. And I was like, all right, no more toys for. A year, I don't know. Anyway, I ended up getting a bike, and I was like, "Man, this is this is more like it," you know. <laughs> and um, so I rode for a bit, um, and then I did my first. The first track day I ever did was a uh, accredited rider school to get your race license. Oh, but it was cool. my first track day, so I was like, "Well, let's figure out if I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right." Uh, so I went to that school, uh, did the track day, did the school. Uh, and uh, you get a little diploma, and if you want to apply for your race license, you can. I didn't. Uh, I was nowhere what's near some, that What's level. something like that cost? So that school, um, I can actually tell – if I pulled it up on the phone or the computer, I can tell you what our price is. Um, but you're looking at a few hundred bucks for mm-hmm. the school, the track time for a day, and the diploma that you can apply to get your race license with. So okay. depending on where you're applying for your race license, what organization you are, with CCS – we're uh, whatever it is. Uh, these are uh, motorcycle road race associations. Um, I want to say the the fee to apply for your license is like a couple hundred bucks, maybe two hundred. Mm-hmm. I think I don't want to lie, but I think it's two hundred. And then to do the school uh, where you get the diploma, um, you're looking at probably three, four hundred bucks somewhere around there, depending on where you go. There's a bunch of organizations that do school, so mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what their prices were like. Yeah, yeah. So um, what did that yeah. lead into then? Okay, yeah. So oh, bikes wise, uh, yeah. yeah. I have a, I have an R six. I've, I've flip flopped a couple bikes um, over the years, but currently I have a Triumph Sprint ST as a street bike that I hardly ever ride. I have a Yamaha R six. That's my track bike, and uh, I have a Suzuki DRZ. It's got like a supermoto setup on it. That's my training bike, uh, and small bore. Um, what do you mean by supermoto so, setup? So it's instead of like the traditional dirt bike with big knobby tires and, mm-hmm. and crazy suspension, um, it's got 17 inch wheels on it, kind of level out the swing arm. Um, it's got right now I've got road race reins on the front and the back of it, but I use it in a dirt training environment, which mm-hmm. I'll talk about um, with the schools I'm involved in, uh, nonprofit I'm involved in. Um, and it's got some beefed up suspension because essentially it's a kid's bike that we use as a training tool. So you're training on techniques at 10 miles an hour that you may do at 50, 80, a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. but it hurts a whole lot less, uh, to fall down at 10 miles an hour yeah. than it does at 50, 80, hundred miles an hour. Um, so the, uh, so yeah, so that leads into now. So I, I did the school and the track day with, um, with the organization I did it for. I'm not gonna throw it out there cause it's, paid version i don't want to seem like i'm I'm advertising for it um 
but I did Feel the school free to with advertise them. Advertise if you want, man. <laughs> well, I, I will the nonprofit. That's what's coming up. Uh, and this guy, the the guy that runs the school, he came up with a nonprofit uh, for post nine eleven veterans, and the idea is to uh, introduce veterans into motorcycling. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was two thousand and sixteen, so I've been out for a few years now. At this point, um, and I rode briefly before, but I was like, ah, it's it's kind of eh, whatever. But if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it right. So I went to school. Well, the nonprofit um, is Countersteer dot uh, org is our um, is our uh, website and our organization or countersteerlife.org. and we offer to to post nine eleven veterans a free weekend at our training facility uh, in North Carolina. Uh, free of charge to them. They got to pay for food. You don't need a bike. You don't need gear uh, to come out and ride and train with us and, uh, and learn some cool stuff because our staff, um, you know, most of our staff have national titles in road racing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really cool. So there's a lot of knowledge to be done and it's a good safe place to come ride. You can ride as hard as you want with limited risk to hurting yourself. Uh, So I did their first event as a participant because I'd heard of it from a buddy of mine that was involved in this organization. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go. Uh, shortly thereafter, the guy that, that runs the, the paid schools and the nonprofit said, Hey, um, you have any interest in coming on board as staff with the organization, the nonprofit and the paid schools? Uh, it's like, well, thinking about it, I was like, well, yeah, man, <laughs> like, why wouldn't I want to, yeah. uh, to work, getting to ride motorcycles, um, Fixing motorcycles is a big part of it too, and there's a lot of administrative stuff. But why wouldn't I want to do that? Um, so came on board as staff a few months later after doing the first nonprofit event, mm-hmm. um, and now I uh, I help out with just about every event that we have. We do um, road race stuff on on the paid side of things. We do uh, training weekends at our dirt facility. We do uh, we host a few track days a year um, at tracks on the East coast, Virginia international raceway and mm-hmm. Carolina motorsports park specifically. Uh, and then the nonprofit is where I'm heavily the most involved in. Uh, I run the operation side of it. So we're still doing the, the event or still doing the nonprofit events. We do six or seven a year mm-hmm. where we host post nine eleven events out free of charge. Doesn't cost them anything. They don't need bikes, gear, anything. All they got to do is show up uh, and they get to ride at our training facility in, in North Carolina uh, on, on our school bikes. So it's pretty That's good, awesome, man. man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. You get to meet, get to meet some cool folks that, uh, that come through there. And I like still being involved in the veteran community, yeah, uh, for sure. because that, that's about the only way that I am nowadays. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's weird yeah. being on the outside looking in, right? It is. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know when I first got out, I used to be like, cause I got out and I, I lived right outside the gates here at Camp Pendleton. Okay. Um, cause I was going, I got out and then my ex is still in the area with my kids. So I wanted to stay in the area, obviously. Yep. And I started going to the community college there to get ready to go to a four year university. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like, I need to get on base. I should be able to get back on base because of whatever reason. And then thinking about it, like, why do I need to go on base? Like what? <laughs> like I, I'm just so used to going there for everything and going on yep. and talking to people and working and everything else that it's just like, it was weird being right outside the gate, but no longer having an association with it. Yeah. You know what I'm yep. saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, 
Yeah. So I don't know. It's just kind of, I guess it would be easier maybe if, if I was one of those dudes that got out and like flew home and you know, yeah. and you're back home, but I don't know. It was just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, part of the process for, you know, backing up a little bit for the, the medical retirement was, um, you, you have to go back to the base. I had to go back a few times over the span of a couple of years. So yeah. I had to go back to, go back to Lejeune. Um, and I'm full blown civilian at this point. I got a retired ID. Um, and man, it was so not odd, but surreal, maybe mm-hmm. coming back through the gate, um, and giving them, giving them my idea to check it. And they're like, well, have a good day. Staff sergeant. I'm like, Whoa, I ain't heard that in a while. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was weird, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and then driving around Lejeune and all the construction that they were doing, it looks completely different now. You yeah. Know? They um, started doing that right before I left. They were building new roads. They were going to build yeah. like an overpass on base, like all this yeah. shit. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's yeah. wild. Main, main side. Yeah. That overpass. I remember seeing that overpass last time I was there. And I was like, well, that, that hadn't been there for a while. Second um, Anglico got a new compound. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw the old one. I think the the old uh, the old uh, shop is water treatment, maybe. So, oh, really? Uh, water, water dogs are there, maybe. I don't know. And I saw the new compound. It's pretty legit. They got a parking deck and everything, man. Like this oh, little really? thing's like that. Yeah, moving on up in the world. Nice. Know? I think I yeah. left when they were building it. Still. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Still got the misspelled sign as soon as you walk into the fucking CP, but um, oh really? Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're uh, it's it's just a big not not the signs that they have outside, but as you walk in, there's this big elaborate carved in wood Anglico uh, kind of emblem, uh-huh. uh, and and if you read it close enough. The E in Thunder is an F. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, somebody got to fix this shit, man. Oh, so why can't they fix it? That's easy. It seems like an easy fix. I don't know, man. I can send you you a picture of it. I took a picture of it last time um, because I was kind of laughing. I was like, all my years coming here, and I never saw that. Even when I was with Second Annual Coat, we had the same sign or the same big engraved emblem. Yeah, I never noticed that it was misspelled. And then uh, I show up, you know, years after being out, and I'm laughing that it's been misspelled this whole time. I had no Attention idea. to detail, Marine. Yeah, yeah. Fucking shitbag, man. Well, Horrible. I'm glad you're doing well, man. Like I said, I haven't seen you in years. And, I mean, we didn't really – we weren't ever, like, close friends or anything. But we did yeah. hang out, you know, and it was uh, – yeah. you were – you were the first Evo person I hung out with, so that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm glad you came on. I'm glad you're doing well, and I'm glad you're still involved in the motorsport community. I miss my Evo, you know, but it is mm-hmm. what it is. Maybe one day I'll get another one, but I'm a Jeep guy for now. Uh, yeah. Um, but is, is there any other organizations or anything else you want to shout out or, or put out your own social Man. media or anything? Uh, so social media-wise, um, I don't mind putting mine out. Uh, my Instagram is jreed, J. R-E-I-D, 88002, um, or it might be 0861. I think it's 8002. All my, all my usernames for everything are either jreed0861 or jreed8002. You know, <laughs> Keep it simple. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I'm pretty sure Instagram is jreed8002, but unless I knew you or knew someone that knew you, I probably won't accept any follows. Um, so I don't mind putting it out there. If there's guys listening I haven't talked to in a while and they want to reconnect with me, please Add me hundred um, percent organization wise, uh, counter steer life.org. That's uh, if, if you think you might have an interest in motorcycle riding um, or, you know, you've never ridden a motorcycle before. You want to improve your skills or you just want to come out and ride, come out and ride with us. Uh, give us a look. Um, and also another organization 
uh, in the motorsport world, um, they they can offer you some pretty cool opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Operation Motorsport. So Operation Motorsport, uh, you can look up on any social media. I don't remember their website off the top of my head, but they deal with sports car racing mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some cool opportunities there for veterans. I'll have to check if, that out. If, yeah, if racing interests you, they can. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I got an opportunity to embed with a Lamborghini team at the 24 Hours of Daytona. Nice. Um, yeah, professional Lamborghini team, super who, cool, man. You know who the driver was? So at the time, um, I think they had the same crew this year. It was Paul Miller Racing was the team, but our the drivers were Corey Lewis. Um, Corey Lewis. Was there a female driver? Brian? No, not for this one. It was Brian mm-hmm. Sellers, Corey Lewis, and I don't remember the other guy's name. Um, but yeah, it was Paul Miller Racing is super cool. So that's cool. Um, yeah, I mean. Most of my my time now is with you know dealing with motorsports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'd say organization wise, Operation Motorsport and Counter Steel Life are the uh, are the two that I'd throw out there. Cool man. Well, hopefully people check it out and stuff, and they get involved because I think you even while you're in, you got to have hobbies and getting out. You definitely got to have hobbies and it is an expensive hobby. It can be an expensive hobby, but it doesn't have to be. I always try to tell people like for autocross and stuff like that. I'm like you don't have to have a race car. Like the nice fast cars are Miatas that people, that's right. That's all they do with them. But like you, I've seen people out there in SUVs running autocross. They're not going to stop you. And I think the cool (laughs) thing is, is that it's, it makes you understand the handling of your car to another level that you wouldn't get just riding on the road. Like my, my understanding of the Evo and how I could turn and, and I, I only spun out, I think, once or twice doing autocross. So I, but I knew now I know like how it feels right before it's yep. going to spin out so I could, I could control it better. And I think that's yep. an important thing that, you know, people, they don't do anymore. And eventually we're just going to be all in electrical cars and, and yeah. <laughs> it's going to drive us everywhere anyway. So we won't be able that's to right. do it. But anyway, yep. man, I appreciate you coming on and telling your stories and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a good perspective. You got to do a bunch of cool stuff. You worked with a bunch of different units and stuff like that. And, and uh, like I said, I'm glad you're doing well and everything. So this will, I'm going to finish. Once we finish this recording, I'm going to upload it probably into YouTube and stuff um, within a couple hours. So right on, man, you'll be able to see it on there. Cool. Um, Keep doing what you're doing, man. I think the podcast is pretty kick ass and I appreciate you having me on here. I appreciate it, man. We're getting good feedback. You know, it's, um, I thought I, Hopefully it continues to grow and stuff like that. It's, um, mm-hmm. but I've gotten a lot of people that have, people have told me they've reconnected with other people because they hear names on the podcast. They're like, oh yeah, so-and-so, you know, and then they'll reach mm-hmm. out and stuff like that. And like I said, I just think it's good to get stories out there, just all the different, and I'm trying to move away um, from just like the last guest was an army guy. I'm mm-hmm. trying to move away from just Marines and I'm trying – I don't want people to think that it's just a Marine Anglico podcast. I want it to yep. be uh, more, uh, you know, more overreaching than that. So I had the Army guy on. I'm supposed to be – I might have a journalist come on that was a war reporter. So I think that would be cool. really cool. And then, um, yeah, I'd like to get some Air Force guys on to talk about some of their stuff. But, yeah, I just want it to be open to everybody, you know. That way mm-hmm. people – because there's so many jobs out there that people do. Water dogs, you know, just talking yep. about being a water dog. Like that's a – that, that's got its own story, you know, and some yeah. of these dudes are water dogs out on some patrol base way out in the middle of nowhere. Like they're expected to, to maintain facilities yeah. and stuff like that. So it's, it's just a different perspective, but I appreciate it. Yeah. It's uh it's been good for me because it's cool hearing other people's stories and I, I, I like sharing it with everyone else. So hundred percent, but I guess that's it. So have yourself a good day. Hey, see you, man. Later. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.